Thank you so much for tuning in to the Spiro Avenue Show. You could follow us on social media at Spiro Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also watch our full episodes and clips and highlights on YouTube. And we would appreciate it if you could hit that subscribe button for us. Anyways, thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to the Spiro Avenue Show. Justin Spiro, happy to have you really hopping around these parts. It's getting hotter and hotter. We are still in an active construction site. If you'd see it, you'd be deeply ashamed of me for sure. Uh, it's a little messy out here, but you know, bear with us. It's a little barren behind our guests. We'll get to that in a second. First, we got to remember who's keeping the lights on around here. It's the sponsors. We love our guests. We love Ben. We love everybody. Only the sponsors keep the lights on. It's Superior Home Wedding today. The presenting sponsor, our newest favorite in town. This guy's a good friend of mine, Michael Fick. Go way back. Fire up chips, Michael. Fire up chips, Chris. He's a Chippewa. For sure. He's, he's, a, he's like the sort of antithesis of you. He's like a Chippewa Spartan. You're a Chippewa Wolverine. Mike, Michael's a great guy. And actually, you know, I, I like to shill for stuff I actually like use and like. Uh, Michael's actually doing my home refi right now. He laughed his ass off when he saw my mortgage rate. He couldn't believe there was a four as the first digit. So we got over my embarrassment and moved on. Check him out. Superiorloans.mortgage, 616-299-9275. Michael Fix the Man. Love him. Great guy. Smart guy. He'll help you out. He's helping me out big time right now. NMLS number 1159792 at nationwidelicensingsystem.org. All right. There's a lot going on. Um, this was not one of those shows I had to really squeeze the rock and, and try to get some wine out of it. This was like a, what the hell am I not going to talk about? Because as much as you love me and our guest, no one's going to be here for nine hours. We, you don't have that kind of stamina. I might, you don't. Uh, so let's, let's start with the big one and we'll get to that in a second. But I have to say, this is a record here. And that's what we're introducing for the fourth time in studio, Chris Castellani of Barstool Sports. That sounds kind of weird out of my mouth, but welcome back, man. It still sounds weird to hear, too. This is uh, this fourth time in studio. This is the first time since, uh, yeah, a lot's changed, uh, I think, since the last time I was in here in my life. So, um, no, I'm happy to be back, though, man. It's cool to be uh, breaking some records. It's it's a big time. I know Tony Paul is very offended because you were in a, a locked <laughs> tie for three appearances and I think he's feeling kind of bad about himself, but he's going to have to get in because there's a lot going on with the Tigers. We'll get to that. Uh, it is great to have you back under a new context. It's like every time you come in, you're a bigger and bigger deal. I had a buddy text me when he saw the graphic tweeted out uh, that you were joining, and he said that we're the two biggest and best talkers he knows. So I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I would say pretty much anyone who knows me would attest to the fact that I'm probably number one in that category and have been since I was like six years old. So yeah, that works out. Yeah. A little bit of a backhanded compliment because it's like yeah. you got the biggest mouth, but like, you know, you say some good stuff along yeah. the way. So, but I'm going to try to stay mostly out of your way other than steering the ship and okay. I'll chime in here and there, but you have so much. And the biggest thing right now to me, and we talked about it a little bit, there's a lot, but Michigan, Mich uh, Michigan, Ohio state is going to be, I mean, one of the biggest games for Michigan in 10 years, arguably. I mean, I, mean, I feel like we say that every year, though. 
But yes, yeah, it gets it, it's going to get bigger until they win. Like eventually the balloon's going to pop. Right. Like Will the, it? I don't know. <laughs> I thought that was going to happen a couple I mean, years you ago. Know, until that. a meteor hits the earth, I'm going to believe that it will happen at some point. Yeah. But yes, I, I'm with you. Under yeah. legitimate like non-interim coach circumstances, too. So yeah. I, I want to sort of set the table right. for yes, I forgot about the fickle year. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, they, they all count. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, ew. If that's your like one win in what, 14 years or 12 years or whatever, that's not great. Okay, here we go. So let, let's set the tone for Saturday. Let's sort of frame this. And then once I have you uh, nice and set up, we're going to let you just go mm-hmm. off. But I want to give the sort of objective context of where the perception is publicly with this game. I'm a DraftKings user myself, not a sponsor. Don't care what you use. Not offended. I'm a DraftKings guy. I checked my app this morning. Here's what DraftKings says for the odds on Saturday. This is, you know, a little bit less than a week before. We saw some seven and a halfs out there. They have it at eight right now. So it's Ohio State is an eight-point road favorite at the big house on Saturday. Uh, you know, I, I'm a big athletic guy, big fan of this guy, Nick Baumgartner. He chimed in with a pretty good article. We pulled one little snippet of that. So this is kind of what, what Nick had to say about the game. Ben, if you can throw that up. There we go. All right, quote, the best hope for the Wolverines rests with their game wreckers. If Hutchinson and Ojabo can help create two or three opportunities that wouldn't otherwise be there, that's Michigan's path to victory. A year ago, we would have laughed ourselves silly for even suggesting such a thing in a Michigan-Ohio State matchup, but this isn't last year. Now, Nick's sort of general takeaway was Michigan is a rightful underdog, but has the horses to make plays to make this a game. So that was kind of Nick's overarching point. Let's go to one more. Also from the athletic Zachary Picale, if there were ever a time for Jim Harbaugh to get his first win over Ohio State, it would be this week. This is potentially Michigan's best chance ever to make the college football playoff. They have been a top five defense most of the year, but they haven't faced a team like Ohio State yet. So in the ether, there seems to be a cautious optimism. Yes, Ohio State's a rightful favorite. Yes, Michigan does face an uphill climb, but this is not a gimme for Ohio State. Michigan has a legitimate chance to win. They should not be afraid going into this game. It's a cautious optimism. Chris Castellani, smart guy, rational guy, objective guy, but a Michigan fan. Where the hell are you? That's where I'm curious. I'm uh, probably, I guess this falls in line with my personality. I'm probably a bit more pessimistic than other people are. Justin, I've been watching sports for Michigan football for 18 years. Since 2003 was the first year. The last week of November has gone well two times. And more often than not, especially recent history, it's not just bad. It's it's curb stomping, get doors blown off. I can't believe that just happened. Bad. Um, It's a very weird period and weird matchup here because in other years, I think there was the expectation of, Michigan may have equal to or superior talent. Like, you know, I always go back to the 18 year where it sounds crazy. I mean, so much has changed in three years. They were favored going into Columbus three years ago. That was the one. And Anthony and and Luke and I, when I was working for Mason Brew, talked about this. That was the one that broke us because they had a great, they won 10 games in a row that year. They were dominating teams. I mean, they, they, the, the Michigan State game that year was the most dominant 14-point game I've ever seen. I mean, Michigan State couldn't snap a football, and Michigan you know, beat them. They dominated a good Penn State team, dominated Wisconsin, gave up 62 to uh, Ohio State. So 
I'm um, I'm not confident, to be completely honest with you. Now, there is a pathway for Michigan to win this game. Um, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility. This isn't, you know, uh, this isn't in 2008, right? Whereas those Rich Rod teams, but I don't know. I've Ohio State is going through the Ohio State arc, and I was telling you this before we we started the show that like, um, I was at Anthony Anthony Broom's place the second week of the season, and they were down seven nothing to Oregon, or it was seven seven, and I leaned over and said. This is the game they're going to lose to make everyone everyone believe that they're not as good as we think they are. And um, I don't know. last week I said this in my post game they looked like they could beat the Lions. Um, it, it just seems like a team that is a well oiled machine. I think that this Michigan team, the one advantage they have, not to say that other teams didn't have it because we do revisionist history after you know when you lose to Ohio State and do stuff like that. But I think there is a bit more of a swagger to this team. I think there is a bit more confidence to this group, and I'll go as far as to say probably better leadership, because you looked at the way things went last year, and again, so much changes just in a year, but dude, they were god-awful a season ago. I mean, they, they couldn't get a first down, they didn't have a quarterback, they didn't have a running game, they didn't have much of a defense, it was a really terrible Michigan team, and they've bounced back with, to me, tremendous poise, tremendous leadership, but there is a sad reality, which is like, The Michigan-Ohio State rivalry has become, sadly, David versus Goliath, and I'm just waiting for the day that David brings their slingshot, and I don't know when that's going to be. I hope hope it's this Saturday. Nothing would make me happier than to see them prove me wrong, uh, go to the big house, play confident, but having watched Ohio State recently, they just, there's so few holes on that football team that even the best coaches and the best players would have difficulty exploiting. And I don't know if that's going to come from this Michigan team. It's so difficult to dive into the past and like try to remember the context leading up to a game in real time and not be sort of tainted by what actually happened in the subsequent commentary. For sure, oh, for sure, yeah. But I, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know I can speak for myself confidently, but in a general perception sense, a lot of what you just said, more confidence, swagger, uh, you know, leadership. Isn't that everything we said for the Chase Winovich? I, dude, I know, I know, and that's that's why I'm not getting my they hopes were, up. They were so brash, and after games, and Winovich, you know, pulling his helmet off, and his locks are, are flapping in the sky, mm-hmm. and you know, he's the, the team did have swagger, and that looked like a team that like they ain't afraid of anybody. And the, the difference, the difference, I'll say, is that I think this team has more of a quiet confidence, like Winovich. I love Chase Winovich. He was a brash dude. I mean, and you loved him for that until, you know, they gave up 62, which I don't put put it on him. But that was, you know, there has been no revenge tour t-shirts being sold this year. There have been no, you know, we're going to we're going to knock him off their block type of rah-rah speeches. I think you have, you know, Aiden Hutchinson is an incredibly confident, you know, swaggerific player. Same with guys like Ajabo and, and Corum. But I think in general, um, they've kept their head down more often than not this year and they've gone out and played. Um I think that as again as bringing up Anthony again the, the the quote he always used to describe that revenge tour team was Icarus flew a little bit too close to the sun where they were, you know, they were brash and they were pumping their chests out and then you know the 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 air came out of the balloon in the last uh, in the last couple games of the season. I don't see that kind of cockiness from this team which has been a good thing. They haven't earned the right to be cocky. They were 2 and 4 last year. I mean they they should have been one in five to be uh, completely. I don't know. Lack of results have never dissuaded Michigan from being irrationally. As, as a team, as a but, team, sure, but as yeah. a fan, it sure as hell does for me. And, I, and yeah, I, I, I agree. do think 
whatever you want to say about Harbaugh, I do think that this year they've been aware of that. I mean, you have not seen the kind of typical Michigan posturing that has been there during the Winovich years, during 2016 when they were steamrolling teams early on in that season. I think it has been a team that's exuded a little bit more quiet confidence. Uh, but quiet confidence doesn't beat the number two team in the country or whatever they're going to be. I mean, they're going to have to play essentially a perfect game on Saturday. I think they, we, I think you nailed it. I think they've at least set themselves up where it's not as big of an optical disaster if it doesn't go well. The revenge tour thing, it, the revenge tour wasn't about we're going to go out and beat Northwestern. It was about Michigan State and Ohio State. I mean, yeah. primary, maybe what, Penn State maybe? Well, I, I can't remember who they Those, those were their losses. It was because yeah, they, they, right. they got do, their doors blown off by Penn State. Right. And then they obviously lost. Um, at home uh, to Michigan State that year, what was it? Admittedly, you know, a really good Michigan State team. I mean, they won ten games. But still, they they felt like they let that one slip away, and then um, uh, then Ohio State. So you know, they won two out of three. But we know how it ended. Right? Hey, the big one though, you you can't do the revenge. You can't go two out of three. Like if you're gonna, I'm with you. The, no, you're you're I completely mean, right. If yeah. you're wearing the revenge tour shirt, that's three and zero. Oh. I mean, you may as well go one three if you're not winning all three. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if that's your what you're playing up, like they've been a lot. You saw Harbaugh taking shots at D'Antonio, uh, taking shots at Ohio State with Ryan Day in years prior. This year, for the most part, I mean, I, I, Michigan State fans are, like, very upset about the officiating complaining. But that's, like, if anything, that's whining. That's not, like, taking shots can at. I, can I speak on that for a second sure. real quick? Yeah. Because I there's kind of two camps that it falls under for me. Yeah. Like, the video clips of Cade McNamara saying, you know what, that fourth down, that should have been a P.I., being somebody who's now 26, and you've known me since I was 21, when I was uh, you know, dumber than a fucking sack of hammers, I can tell you that if I was a 20-year-old after what was a brutal loss, I mean, an amazing game, I don't get on what any player says following a loss like that. Like, if I was Cade in that position, having thrown nearly 400 yards, I would probably say, yeah, they should have thrown a flag on that. What bothered me was on... Not just the Wednesday after the game, but the Wednesday after that, they're still talking about it, um, and the coaches are still discussing it. That's what bothers me. Like, and that's now again, in fair credit to them, they did not lose that game twice. They benefited from the fact that Indiana stinks, and they, you know, they dominated them at what was one of the most boring games I've seen in a long time. Uh, they dominated Maryland. They went on the road and beat, you know, as Penn State is in a weird spot, but they're no slouch. And they came back and won that game, which is something that they haven't done very often. But yeah, I, I've there's kind of two camps that it falls under when it comes to that argument where, yes, there is there is that stereotype that comes with Michigan football and much of it justified. But I do think that like what bothered me more so was the coaches going, you know, kind of grinding in the mud on that as opposed to the players when, you know, guys, guys are 20. You know, I mean, guys say that stuff and. They were frustrated as hell. They played their asses off and still lost. But yeah, I, don't, I mean, I just, I want to talk about that for a second because I can't, here's the thing, man. I avoid putting this stuff out on social media because there is zero nuance to hundred or, or 280 characters. You can't do it. So like, I, I got to elaborate on something like here on a podcast. Yeah. yeah and you can, but even if you had 2,800 words on Twitter, I don't know how much that would even help. Like people are right. on this topic anyway. Some maybe, but no, I'm with you. Like a player right after the game is a different context than nine days after the coach, like in a prepared statement. Yeah. And for the um, record, Michigan State scored more points than Michigan on October 30th. That's what I care about. You've yeah, known me, yeah. you've known me long enough to know that like I don't I don't I don't speak on that show. I mean, I have a Michigan basketball team that lost a national championship to a team that cheated. 
And I've, ne- I've never, like, you've never heard me really complain that much about it. I mean, you, that, you know where I stand on that stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I mean, what I was just getting at was generally, though, that, you know, digression aside, mm-hmm. it has been kind of what you're saying, a more workmanlike, we're going to do our thing. You know, the, you know, multiple players asked about the, you know, Ohio State allegations that they're ducking them. Was it, uh, who's the linebacker? I'm blanking. Josh. Uh, Ross. Ross. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it was saying. Are um, you talking last year with the COVID? Well, year? well did you see the press conference today? They no, asked, I didn't. They asked him like, "Hey, what do you think of Ohio State's assertion that you guys were ducking them?" He goes, "That's BS. Like, we this we want to play this game more than anybody." So they've been they've been more kind of just serious. He could have gone more. He just said, "No, it's BS. We want to play." Like, you know, mm-hmm. there was no like trash talk. It's just they're very focused. You said it though. I mean, if you're outclassed, you're outclassed. I think we can all agree. Almost anybody in the Big Ten, almost, can beat anybody else in the Big Ten if 100 things go right. Mm-hmm. You win the turnover margin, like Rutgers last year with Michigan State, 7-1, to one, literally. I mean, they were <laughs> plus 6. I, like, if that happens, Michigan will win. If Michigan's plus 3 in turnovers, they'll probably win. Yes. But does Michigan have a non-weird, fluky, two pick sixes, a fumble six and a pick six path to victory? Do they have to have something weird, or can they just go out and beat them? They'll need luck, but that comes with any big game against a good team. I mean, I total outlier, weird, multiple weird turnover touchdowns. There is. Type stuff. There is. It will take a lot, and I've, I've thought about what it will take, and I'll, I'll let you know. I mean, I think that, for one, Ohio State's offense is so good. I mean, it's just, it, Ryan Day's offenses are the masters of, I tweeted this out, are the masters of weakness exploitation. If you got a bad secondary they're going to they're going to butcher you. If you got a bad defensive line, they're going to run the ball. I mean, he's he's great at that. I know that like people say he inherited, you know, a great situation which he did with Urban Meyer. Ryan Day is a really good football coach and I think he's a master offensive mind. How Michigan fights back against that is the way they've won games this year. Cuz I think regardless of how Mike McDonald's defense plays, Ohio State's going to score in a lot of drives. So you push back against that by having those 6, 7 eight-minute drives where you're running the ball, where you're dominating time of possession, keeping the ball away from C.J. Stroud. If you do that and you get into a 27-24 game, okay, maybe they got a shot. The other thing they can't do, and this is something that, well, the results themselves, when you look at the, the difference of score at the end of the game, hasn't really made a difference. They cannot make the consistent dumb mistakes that they've made in this game over the last several years. I mean, I'm specifically focusing on 18 and 19. 19, here's the prime example. This was like the microcosm of the Jim Harbaugh era to me. 2019, Michigan, they were 9-2 and going into that game. I think like maybe 7 in the country. Ohio State was, I think at the time, 1. LSU, obviously, you know, maybe arguably the greatest team ever, ended up winning it all, but they were 11-0. Michigan comes out in that game and has what, in my opinion, was the best drive of the Jim Harbaugh era. They come out and they punched Ohio State in the mouth. And that Shea was accurate. They were moving the ball. The drive ended with a reverse to Giles Jackson where he scored a touchdown. And you're thinking all of a sudden, hey, maybe they figured out a formula. Maybe, maybe this is, you know, they're not going to win the Big Ten. That's all, already out of reach. But maybe this is the year they finally fight back. Quinn Nordine misses the fucking extra point. And the, immediately... The energy is sucked out of the stadium and sucked out of every fan uh, uh, sitting at home. Uh, a few, but even with that, they were in that game in the first half. And, we're, and I'm not going to say this is where it was lost. They lost by four touchdowns. It didn't matter. 
But just a, another prime example, Ohio State was moving the ball. Michigan stopped them. It was a fourth and four, and Ohio State was about to punt, and Michigan was moving the ball. Kalik Hudson, who was, I'd have to go back and look, probably Michigan's best defensive player that year, lines up offsides on a punt. Fourth and four becomes first and 10. Ohio State scores. The game's essentially over after that. Those kind of boneheaded mistakes, bad penalties, bad turnovers, that those can't happen. Now, if they do both of those things, establish a line of scrimmage, have those long drives, and don't beat themselves, they will have a shot. The sad reality is they could play a nearly perfect game, I, I think, and still lose. Um, and if that ends up happening, I'm not going to be mad the same way I wasn't really mad after the Michigan State loss. I, I think that they will have to adapt a little bit. Um, Cade, at some point, even with those six, seven, eight-minute drives I'm talking about, um, and this has been a running theme all year, really for seven years, Cade will have to make a big-time throw, multiple big-time throws at some point for a, for a big play when Ohio State puts eight guys in the box and they go over the top and try to hit Johnson or Anthony on a big pass play. Um, now, lately, last four games or so, my faith in Cade has increased. Um, even with the Ohio or the Michigan State loss, I came out of that thinking, okay, maybe they found something in regards to his confidence here, um, and he's been he's been better, he's been good. They'll need him to be great. If all of those things happen and all those things fall in line, they're going to have a pretty good shot. Even if they lose, I'm not going to be mad at them. Um, but it's, you know, they're going to have to play a damn good football game. Nothing's going to juice up a quarterback's confidence like facing the Michigan State secondary. <laughs> you're, you're right. No, you're right. I mean, you're, you're right, for sure. Um, but that that definitely helped, I think, his confidence. And and he's looking. He, he's been solid all year. He, he's been solid. But really, I think that he's, he's the weirdest quarterback they've ever had because like, he's He'll have these moments. First of all, I do like him actually quite a bit. I like his confidence. I like the way he goes about goes about his business. Like very impressive guy to listen to in interviews. Like loves Michigan. Uh, that Penn State drive, that's a drive that a lot of Michigan quarterbacks under Harbaugh would not have been able to make. When and again, he didn't. He wasn't Mahomes throwing you know off his back foot, not looking at anybody, but went through his progressions, didn't turn the ball over, made the throws he needed to make, drove him down the field. Both Nebraska and Penn State on the road. He made the plays in the second half, in the fourth quarter, uh, when they were behind to win them the game. So I think he has the moxie to do it. I just want to see if he can contain that consistency for four quarters against a really good opponent. I think he has the right mindset and mentality. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he's a C plus, B minus, like talent, uh, arm talent, you know, somewhere in that range. Like, he's not, not untalented. He's got talent, but he's not a special talent. But I said during that Penn State game, there were, there were, plays where they were in his face and a lot of I've seen quarterbacks not just Michigan throughout college nine out of ten are collapsing or panicking to some degree I mean everyone other than Connor Cook I've seen Brian Lewerke panic Kirk Cousins panic in that situation to his credit he's cool as a cucumber I was I was amazed at how calmly he would just okay like one more step back, check down. Just no force throws, no devastating sacks, really. I mean, he he makes the easy, smart play nine times out of ten. And if you just, as a college quarterback, different standard for the NFL, but in college, if you just don't do something really stupid, you're already ahead of, like, what, 80% of the quarterbacks? Mm -hmm. in the, like, right. Just, you know, wouldn't pressured. So for I sure. Like but when you, when you had Anthony on, and I've, I said this early, and you played my video, where I said, look, at some point, there's going to have to be that game where he makes that throw, where he has that drive. I mean, the comparison I've tried to use, and it's true, like 
Michigan State in 2013, I was at the opening game they played against Western. And I said, God, this defense is so good. They might not, they might lose five games because I don't know if this offense can score 10 points a game in the Big Ten. Now, what happened is you got to November and Connor Cook became Connor Cook. And that was, you know, obviously D'Antonio doing his thing. That was, you know, if the playoff was around, they would have had a hell of a shot. But like, I want, my hope is that we have that kind of Connor Cook arc. Now, I think in terms of talent, Cook prop probably exceeds. I mean, I would think so. I like, think so. Yeah. I, I would say so. He I was think, making back shoulder throws. I mean, yeah, he was a, he's a better talent. But I'm talking, I'm talking Cook. 2013 like yes cook against ohio state in 2013 i'm really it was it wasn't until that game like when michigan state had that 17 point lead against ohio state that year i'm like that's pretty good you know but it wasn't until then when i'm like okay they got a shot here um i hope he's able to do it because i like him and i think he's played uh, efficient football this year but against a team as explosive as ohio state efficiency ain't gonna cut it you got to be explosive you got to be good and you can't make mistakes I wanted, as like an objective person, or if I were a Michigan fan, I wanted to see McCarthy established a lot earlier, get a lot more reps early. Mm-hmm. But I said all along, if you're not going to do it early, don't do it at all. I, I think yeah. he, well, I, I blame the coach more than the kid. I, I think him being in that Michigan State game is why he lost. That fumble with the second one that actually was lost was absolutely devastating. Well, it was also, and I brought this up in my video, technically Cade was in the injury tent. At the time of that okay, last that's, fumble. That's, I, I know. Look, I know. Look, there's conspiracies around that. But whether or not he was sent out there, it's not improbable that he would have been out there either that drive or a different drive at some point because they've been using yeah. him all year. So it's not like I would buy that if they weren't using this kid multiple times every single game this year, literally. So like. And he's played well. That's what's so weird. Dude, it but, is so. You've made the comparison. Yeah. It is so Brady Henson 2.0. Difference is, Tom Brady became Tom Brady. Yeah, and uh, I like Cade. Hey, yeah, but don't it, count him out. If if we do if do we if we do Spiro Avenue show in 2049 and Cade's got seven rings, I'll be the first one with my gray beard to say, you know what, Castellani fucked up. Yeah. He was really wrong. But it it is a weird conundrum, and I there is a part of me that does feel bad for him because I, based on everything I've heard, is that like next year this will be JJ's job. Now, if they win this Saturday. All that is thrown up in the air. But I, I made this comparison to a friend that I was talking to the other day where in 2009, like Tate Forcier, again, we, much different era, he was like pretty, pretty good through like 10, 11 games, right? He was, you know, beat Notre Dame. Like, obviously they lost. Did it Michigan. last that long? I thought he was good for like three games and it came off the He rail. came into the Ohio State game with 13 touchdowns, six picks, and I think like 2,500 yards. Okay. You know, that's yeah. solid for a yeah. freshman. So yeah, yeah. He threw four picks and fumbled the ball into the end zone. Ohio State recovered it for a touchdown. After that game, it was Denard's job, right? I worry that we could have a situation like that where Cade, despite all the goodwill that he's built up, despite how good he's played this year and how efficient he's been, the way he's conducted himself, he's been quiet. You know, Anthony talked about about it when you had him on. If he plays poorly, you know, he could be, there could be a dead man walking kind of thing. And I I don't want that for him because I do like, I don't want that for any college athlete, but I, it's what happens this week will define a lot of different legacies. When I went to the Michigan State Ohio State game in 2015, I was it was my first time and only time at the shoe. And obviously, Michigan State was a pretty big underdog before the Connor Cook news was announced, like five minutes before kickoff. Yeah, but I had been conditioned my whole life to be very careful in Columbus. Their fans are terrible. 
it was extremely mild. They were friendly. But what I had said to me and my group repeatedly was, oh, like, you know, you Sparty, they were condescending, but it was like, like, you Sparties, we don't hate you. Like, you know, we, we hate the other school up yeah. there. And like, we respect you. You know, your coach won a, a national title for us as a defensive coordinator. And like, there was a, a kind of respect there where like, we know we pretty much own you, but like, you know, hey, you took us down in 2013 and we love Coach Didn't D. Didn't that day. I'm sorry. As it turned out, yeah. I thought before, I mean, after the game, it, it, I mean, no one like attacked us, but they were very upset. But like before, they're in a jovial mood. But the sort of that was a microcosm of what my experience has been. I'm friends with an Ohio State fan that went there. Uh, they kind of respect and like Michigan State. Hey, you, you derailed two of our title seasons. You derailed two undefeated mm-hmm. seasons of ours. We loved Antonio. We have respect for you guys. Michigan State fans, for the most part, I know I do. My brother does. Like most people in my circle, we don't hate Ohio State. Like we don't root for them, but like we don't hate Ohio State. Ohio State, it, 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 they don't even hate you guys. They, from what every conversation I've had, they think Michigan's like a total joke. Michigan football specifically. It's become that. I, I'm sure in a different era that was not the oh, case. Obvi- I think, obviously. Yeah, not. Yeah. yeah. Well, Michigan had their turn like for 15 in the 90s. John and, Cooper era. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, so yeah. It, I, these things ebbs and flow. These, this ebb is quite long. But so I was. 20, 20 year ebb. I me. always <laughs> like, especially when it's my school, but like if I'm t- having a Michigan guest on the show, I like, and there's a game coming up, I always like to see like, what, what's the Penn State people saying? What's the Ohio State people saying? Mm-hmm. So I was just digging around. And honestly, there were like 30 things like this. I, I had to pick one for efficiency. But so this is 10 TV in Columbus. Bobby Carpenter is one of the guys on the panel, former Ohio State linebacking. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, but four or five dudes talking about Michigan generally and previewing the game of some sort. So let's play that. Get your reaction to that. Man, how in the world has this happened? How, I mean, the, the people in Ann Arbor walk around, they look to be stunned that they just, it, they just don't win anymore. I don't know if they remember, Bob, because let's, let's do a little math quickly here, guys. The 21-year-old student at Michigan has only experienced two victories in his or her lifetime, right? I root for Michigan to win every game but one. Mm. I want them undefeated when we either go up there or they come in here. What fun is it beating a terrible football team? I'm happy that they're half decent this year. I mean, they're decent. But my goodness, what fun is there just beating up a team that's bad? This isn't Billy Buckeye876. This is like their TV news station. And I mean, we cut it obviously, but all five of the guys on the panel are like, yeah, they're kind of a joke. Like, I just, yeah. that's the perception. We've talked about, hey, lining up what we think of what's going to actually happen. But the human side, you're a Michigan fan. You're a human being, last I checked. Mm-hmm. Like, does that shit bother you? Because it almost bothers me on your behalf. That would bother me. It doesn't bother me. Life's too fucking short for that shit. I, I really, if they want to hate this, I ain't going to Michigan, man. My, I have one allegiance, and it's to the truth, okay? I think I'm a pretty fucking good truth teller. Like this thus far, at least 26 years in. Um, no, it doesn't look. They're welcome to their opinions. You know, obviously it's sports. I um, I get it though. Like it's the same way. Like I do the same stuff with the Tigers, where it's like, why would I expect you to respect us, or why would I expect you to respect us if you know they lose all the time? Now, Michigan. Here's the one thing that is true. Like Michigan football's been good under Harbaugh. I know people like overinflate like the the failures but they win eight to ten games every year um 
But it is also fair to say that that opinion is, a, is an opinion that will be maintained until Michigan knocks him off and probably knocks him off consistently. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. I, I think it does speak to one issue that there is one thing about this rivalry that does get under my skin. And that is the notion that Ohio State cares more than Michigan in this game. I know Justin Fields, who was such a fun player to watch, said after, I think, 2019, well, I think we just care more. I don't buy into that. And I think Michigan players especially should be kind of insulted by that because I just, I don't know. I think it's really easy to kick a program or kick a team when they're down, when they're losing, you know, by four touchdowns and saying, well, I guess they didn't just care as much. They care. They want to win. Um, but that stuff, no. I mean, it's 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 fine. It's it, it's whatever. It's rivalry fodder. I mean, it's so much better than, you know, hearing, you know, if they were saying personal threats or talking, you know, about Harbaugh's kids or something like that, I'd, I'd throw the, the the red flag out there. But that's 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 friendly enough. And I, I know how ugly this rivalry can get. I know firsthand how ugly the Michigan Michigan State rivalry can get. That's like a three out of 10 on the on the scale. I yeah, feel like. that, that's fair. I mean, I will say. I think even five or six years ago, which, uh, you know, Ohio State was still well in the throes of this dominance over Michigan, uh, that would have bothered a lot of people, and maybe not you, but a lot of people in your fan base more. It seems like they've beaten it out of your fan base, like to where you guys don't even punch back. That is is one element that I think people have overlooked a little bit. Like the there is and will always be that section of the Michigan fan base that will have a level of arrogance. Hell, some of them might coach or even play on the team. But I do think that Michigan fans in general have been humbled over the last, man, you could say the last seven years, but really the year before Harbaugh got there, they won the national championship. Ohio State did. And Michigan went five and seven. This is not exclusive to the Harbaugh era. I do think that looking at the way people have gone about tweeting things and saying things on social media this week, I do think that there is a nut up or shut up kind of vibe. Now, of course, there will be those, you know, those randos on social media who will say stuff. But I, I do think that the Michigan fan base has been trying, for the most part, to remain relatively you know, calm and confident about this entire ordeal. They seem pretty grounded, uh, for sure. Uh, they don't push back like they used to. I mean, use the example with the Tigers. I always say it with the Lions. Like, I hate with a passion the Detroit versus everybody stuff. And you get these Lions fans. Hey, for whatever you want to say about Michigan fans, I you know, the best man in my wedding is a Michigan alum. Like, I, the what most of them, sorry, people like and Chris, but like the people that I know that are alums, like none of them are the stereotype. It's all kind of like that that fringe, like you know. And, and you and Anthony are like the two most rational. I'm not putting you in that basket. Yeah, man. But like the Lions fans are to me way worse. Like they, they they're convinced that the team's only bad because of a curse that's in the sky, and because in the league offices, Roger Goodell is sitting twisting his fake mustache with the uh, chief of officials and wondering how they can fuck them. Like, right. I think you guys have been, whether it was uh, organic or just it's been beaten into you, humbled, like you said. Yeah, I would agree with it. And it's funny because just going back to Anthony and like when we did our show and we would say the stuff that he said when he's been on here and Luke and Anthony and I would talk about it. And I'm, you know, looking back on the way things have gone in the last couple, I'm so proud of what we did there. Like, and what, but you would look at the iTunes reviews and there would be those Michigan fans who are like, these guys are too tough on them. They're not fair. All they do is hate on Michigan. And it's like, we, we, res- we take facts and we respond to truth. I can't twist a 35-14 loss to Wisconsin and say, hey, can still beat Ohio State. 
We can still win the big time. I, I don't do that. You know, if, if I was a coach, it'd be different, but like I'm, I'm a, I'm a podcaster creator of content who talks about this stuff. And so, yeah, I mean, it does speak to there. There will always be that section of the fan base, but I think in general, um, where they're at right now, it's, it's all, it's not as bad, but it's almost similar to like the lions or the tigers where it's like, man, just, just prove us wrong. Like how about one time? I'm not like, it's weird how the expectations have lowered where it's like when Harbaugh got hired, we're going to beat Ohio state every year. Okay. Maybe every other, every other year, once every four, how about one time in seven years? Let's do it. Let, let's just do one time and then we'll be good. We'll be good. Then it's, then it's a overwhelming success. You know, it's, it's weird how much things have changed over the last you know decade plus. So I want to backpedal a little bit. So I don't want to misquote you because I've already forgotten exactly how you phrased it, but feel free to correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong. You said, well, I don't think they're going to win on Saturday. I'm hoping for the best, but you know, you effectively, you you think 10 and two, like solid year. Right, you said Over, overachieving, overachieving. But there is, I mean, I'm sorry, I, but there is that caveat where it's like the two games that matter. I, I, that's what I'm getting at, man. Yeah. Like Stony sat in that chair right there, uh, not not as good looking as you, but you know, sitting there just like you, debatable. Did. <laughs> and you know, he's he's like, you know, he agrees with me. It's like, you know, I don't want to tar and feather the guy, but what are you doing here? Like, if you're not here, first of all. I've tarred and feathered myself related to this coach on my own show. Yeah. I, I, I I put all my stuff on the wall and make fun of myself. Mm-hmm. I said openly, and the tweets are still there. You can look them up if you're one of those people. I said he was going to win multiple national championships mm-hmm. at Michigan. Not one. I made a point to pluralize it. it, it that was my – I was a Michigan State alum already when they yeah. hired him. Michigan fan. That was my objective. Like, oh shit, we're in trouble here, especially in the East. Like now we got to deal with Ohio State and a Michigan led Harbaugh program. Like I'm not saying we're fucked, but like it it got a lot harder and it was already hard. Mm -hmm. This whole, oh, they're winning eight to 10 games. Like, okay. Go be Iowa then. Go be Kirk Ferentz. Oh, by the way, Kirk Ferentz has played in Indianapolis. Like right. I, with a twelve with a twelve and O team. Yeah, I mean, say what you want about the divisions, but he, he got there. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm sorry. Like, to me, ten and two, I don't want to get into the hyperbole. Oh, it's a disaster, but like what is no, it? I'm it's not purgatory going again. Here's what I'll say. Ten and two for this year is like a six out of seven out of ten to me. But because you do have to adjust relative to the year by year expectations. This was a team, I think their Vegas over-under was, what, seven and a half, maybe? Like, yeah, okay. Michigan so, States was four and a half and is going to go 10 and two and at least split with their two right. biggest well, rivals. I think that'd be more than you do in this scenario. I would agree. I also think in both instances, those were oversights in regard, like, Okay, I know. I, I, no, I'm with. I'm with Mel look. Tucker in his first real year. Come on, demand more, please. I'm asking you no, to I, demand you, more from your program. You, you know me, and you know how disappointed I am when Michigan loses to Michigan State. You yeah. know how disappointed I'll be potentially on Saturday if they lose that game. Yeah. I and people are going to be mad at me about this. That's fine. This year, I will. I'll. I'll say. I'll. I'll be very consistent. I'll say. You know what? They were better than I thought they'd be. They lost the the two biggest games that matter, and that will plague Harbaugh and has plagued him through seven years here. Um, the Michigan State loss didn't bother me as much as some other ones have. I think the videos I made and the content I put out kind of reflected that. We're like, I still maintain the 2020 loss was a fireable offense, like especially humiliating, hu- absolutely humiliating. Michigan State played 
And you you talked about it when you talked with Baumgartner, where it's like, that wasn't just like, it wasn't 2015 where you dropped a punt and then the other team scored in the last play. They got their teeth kicked in for like a majority of that game. It was a double-digit win. Right, Michigan like, scored a garbage time touchdown. Right, and like, they, you know, they had an onside kick and like MSU had to get a first down. But like, yeah, Michigan State scored on the first drive of that game. It wasn't like it was some crazy comeback. This year, yeah, they blew it. I mean, they you win games when you have a 16-point lead, period. But... There was almost like a 28-3 like Patriots Super Bowl element to that where like Michigan State had to do like 30 things in the last 20 minutes of that game and did all of them. Had they have done 29, they wouldn't have won. And um, so it didn't bother me as much because I did feel like, okay, there was some bad luck. Not, not speaking on officiating, just, you know, they... The call was a bad break, legitimately. Right. I have no problem yeah, it's, with it's, I'm not. I'm that. not even speaking up, but, you know, yeah. you had the fumble. Um, and ultimately, the best player on the field was number nine in green, and that's the reason they lost. I mean, they, could, they couldn't stop him all game. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, dude. I mean, this year, I'm not giving mulligans. Okay, we're in year seven of a coach. This thing started when I was a freshman in college. I'm 26 now, so I'm not, I'm not for being patient, but you have to go year, year by year, consider the expectations. Will I view 10 and 2 as an overwhelming success? No. But I'll say this, if they go to their bowl game and win, which I don't think they will because guys will sit out. And, you know, Michigan hasn't cared about a bowl game since I was like in diapers. But anyway, if that happens and they go 11-2, and two, which is something they have not done, that is, the, that is another big thing. I think Ant Wright's tweeted about this where it's like, okay, if you're not going to beat Ohio State, don't beat Ohio State. Get to 11 wins. It's like for all the crap James Franklin gets and he makes some weird decisions, his Penn State teams have won 11 games, I think, three times. Michigan has, not, has done that zero. If you go 11-2 and two plus the bowl game, I'll say, okay, I think we're finally, seven years in, potentially moving in the right direction, but, you know, it's still an uphill battle. And I still, I got to throw the caveat out there. They win on Saturday, everything changes, right? Oh, I mean, all the, yeah. now all the stereotypes, all the jokes yeah. are thrown out the window, but. Because I think you'd win at Indy, but. It's, I think so, too, though yeah. it would be very on brand to get there and then lay an egg, which would drive me nuts. But I think I think Michigan wins that game. I, I, I do, too, um, because I think they'll have superior athletes to whatever team they play. But in my opinion, watching other teams in the Big Ten and other teams in the country that are in that first tier, the I know they've had a down year, but the Clemsons, the Bamas, the Georgias, I think what it will take most likely is a 180 overhaul of the offensive scheme. Um, I, I hear this for so long. I know, I, but that's but but they've been right. People have said that for. A well, I'm not saying that. they're wrong. It's just they keep hyping up this new guy coming in. You know, it's Gaddis and who was the Alabama Nussmeier? Oh, and Nussmeier like, was bad. Yeah, it's, I know. It's I know. I, and new and I'll say this, and I, I've I've ripped into Gaddis. I think Gaddis has done a very serviceable job. But again, serviceable. Serviceable means nothing. Serviceable is the equivalent of a six out of ten movie, which it's like okay, I watched it, went through it. But I want to see a blockbuster, and um, I don't know if they have that yet. Now, of course, there's there's the magic elixir, which is the J.J. McCarthy ceiling at this point, right? Which is that if J.J. McCarthy has that kind of arc, then everything changes again, right? And I think that is, that to me, that's Harbaugh's last resort, in my opinion. Because I yeah. think, look at it, let's make a comparison here. LSU... Under less miles, they made it to the national championship game in 2011 and then got killed. I mean, they didn't score a point. People forget that for about eight years, they were just kind of there. They were never bad. Seven to ten wins every year. Then you get Burrow, and all of a sudden, you have this team that I still contend is 
maybe the best team in the history of I college football. I think they're the best ever. I would say it's them, 0-1 Miami in a dogfight, and I would probably give the edge to uh, LSU. The difference is Joe Burrow had Joe Brady, who is, I know he's been kind of so-so with the Panthers, but like, that's the greatest offense ever. What, like, those were video game numbers they put up. I have a hard time believing Josh Gaddis is Joe Brady. And that's living under the assumption that J.J. McCarthy has that ceiling that people talk about. So, you know, I, I know I'm looking far ahead. Again, if they win on Saturday, you can crumble up everything I've said in the last 30 minutes, throw it in the trash, but we'll, we'll see. Yeah, and we're, we're on the doorstep. The last thing I'll say on this before we'll move on, because mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm advocating for Michigan more than you are in terms of overall big picture health. Like you say, you know, in the context of the expectations, the over under seven and a half, 10 and two, maybe they go to the bowl game, 11 and two would be very good. Harbaugh is responsible for the context of the expectations. Yeah, that's so this is correct. It's like just because he lowered the bar and now is stepping over the bar that he lowered, I'm not going to be like, oh, you know, golf clap. It's kind of like the, so the, equi- the hook. it's kind of like the equivalent of that kindergartner who keeps losing a game at recess and then says, you know what? No, I'm changing the rules. See, that doesn't count. You know, I, I, I do get that, but they also cut his pay in half, which to me is like a reflection of. You, we, we need expectations are being lowered. Now I don't, I never shared that opinion and you can go back and listen to the podcast Anthony and Anthony and I did when he signed the extension where I said, I disagree with the thesis that all of a sudden Michigan now needs to be Iowa where like, okay, 10 and three is acceptable. I don't buy that. I can live with it for one year following what was a disastrous two and four COVID season. But going forward, if next year they, I'll say this, if next year they end up with the same record, 10 and two losses to Michigan state losses to Ohio state. I'll, I'll come back on here and say failed season, you know, but it, it I did not expect this team would win more than eight games. And they have, and I, I give them credit for that, but you know, it's not going to make a potential loss on Saturday feel any better. And it didn't make the loss on October 30th feel any, feel any better. I just think for Michigan, you know, sort of the straw man argument is, Oh, you know, we're never going to be Ohio state. We can't be Ohio state. Even if that's not what you're striving for. Can you just be, Michigan State, two thousand nine to two thousand fifteen, and like, I also I also don't buy into that when you look at and I know it was a three year window technically, but like Michigan fans won't admit this, but they would take D'Antonio two thousand seven to two thousand fifteen that era any day, and I know there were some seven and six seasons mixed in there, but. You won three Big Ten titles, and you knocked off two undefeated Ohio State teams. So I don't buy the idea of, like, we have to move the, go- the goalposts. When Michigan State's goalposts, when D'Antonio was hired, were moved pretty far back, and they shot over them. I mean, they won three Big Ten titles. They were running into the punter penalty away from four in six years. So I don't, yeah, I don't buy that idea of, like, well, okay, it's no, it's, we got to change expectations. For this year? Sure, because yes, like you said, the bar was lowered given how they performed last season. They better do it next year if they're not doing it this year. Because I, I just I, come on, like, I, 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 I want it. I want it more than anything. Dude. But I also, I also watch the games and like, well, p- I know how better and have the games be less shitty. I, I mean, if Michigan State, which I mean, the last year aside, where you have billionaires trying to compete with each other to raise the the bar at Michigan State, God bless all of them. But like. That aside, Michigan smokes Michigan State revenue, brand identity, uh, hi- history, just the your fight song's a lot better. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, like if Michigan State can do it against Ohio State twice, win three Big Ten titles since you won your last one, go to the college football yeah. playoff, 
even if you don't have to be Ohio State, just be Michigan State, what they were in that period. Like, that is a team. You have all the resources Michigan State does and more. I mean, I just, there's no excuse. Right. And it's also it worth pointing out that, like, as much as I say Michigan may need a 180 overhaul in terms of offensive scheme, that's not how Michigan State won in 13 through 15. I mean, they had a great, great defense, a quarterback who started off as a game manager but became so much more, and a great running game. Well, that's what Michigan has right now, and yet they haven't been able to kind of get over the top. And they have been substantially outcoached multiple times in this game since Harbaugh. Like, I still contend that 2018 Michigan team, the revenge tour team, I know Shea Patterson was like, you know, he was a very milquetoast college quarterback, but that was a really good team. And they lost because Ohio State said, all they do is play one-on-one. Let's just run mesh routes the entire game. And they that's how they lost. They scored on the first drive and they never looked back. So, yeah, there will need there will have to be that come to the light moment where it's like they 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 find that magic mix that allows them to get over the top. Nothing would please me more than for it to be this Saturday, but I, I don't know. Man. What's the score on Saturday? And then we'll move on to another setting topic. Where, where do you? You're going to say wow, but I'm going to say 45-24. I, I really, I just, which would be technically <laughs> closing the gap because I think we're talking the last time they played was a 56-27 uh, a drubbing in the big house. I think Michigan will be prepared. I don't think they'll make those dumb mistakes. But they're playing like a team that is just, you know, a leaps and bounds, more talented bunch. Uh, I, I don't think it'll be lack of preparation this time. I don't think they'll be ill-prepared. I don't think they'll be poorly coached. I think they'll get beat by a team that is just a whole lot better than every team in their conference. Yeah, and that's exactly what I said today. Like, I, I get accused some fairness to it of you know being hard on Michigan, picking on Michigan or like, trolling or whatever. I said openly today, like I, I think Michigan is a very good football team. Not good, like very good. They've had a really good that's that's yeah. the sad part. One of the had ten a best very good year. I know. Yeah. yeah. Like it's not I so it's not like a, oh Michigan's frauds. Like I think Michigan's legitimately, I mean, whatever you can nitpick fifth to tenth best team in the country. I mean, yeah. that's a compliment. That's pretty good. Like I just think Ohio State's better. I, I just think they're just there's better. That's it, the sad part is you get when it comes to this rivalry and really all rivalries is that you can't praise one program without ripping the other. This is more to me a reflection of what Ohio State is as opposed to what Michigan isn't. By the way, they haven't played the game yet. I know I'm, I'm doing the funeral for it as if they've already lost. You never know. I want them to. I really do. Like, especially like I like a lot of these players. Aiden Hutchinson is one of my favorite Michigan players of all time. I love he could have gone pro, came back. Might be a lion for his sake. I hope he isn't, quite frankly. But I love the guy. I love the way they've gone about their business. It's a reflection of the fact that you just have a program that is just, you know, flexes their muscles the deeper the year goes. He caused Michigan State a lot of problems in our team in East Lansing. Like, he was in the backfield constantly. He had a sack on Peyton Thorne. I was watching it uh, with some some friends in East Lansing, and there was a moment where you forgot to block him, and he yeah, got to the back. I, I, exactly I just I just leaned over and said, "That's that's a that's a brutal guy to leave uncovered." <laughs> yeah, and that, it's like all guys. But the thing is, even like those are those are like the flashy plays. But there's a reason why like PFF grades him out to be as good as he is. He's in the backfield every freaking that's what play. I'm saying. Every, every play? even when he's not getting sacks, like that's why sacks are like you know like RBIs where they're kind of a reflection of opportunities necessarily. Where in reality, like quarterback pressures being in the backfield, that's actually what matters more and he's he's there every play and a job has been great it's been a really fun defense i think the coaching staff has done a great job i want him to win so bad i really do yeah well we'll see it's uh it's on the doorstep man man. i I mean 
I'm crossing my fingers in the other direction. I'm a clearly Buc- I'm a Buckeye fan on Saturday. So we'll move on. Uh, yeah, I don't know whether this is a depressing topic or not. It kind of remains to be seen. This Detroit Tigers offseason, mm-hmm. look, I'm trying to sort it out in my head. I, I, you're a rational guy. I try to be rational. I don't know what to make of this. So I really don't. I and we'll recycle this. So we had set. I, I like exact parameters. I don't like people coming back three months later with an argument and saying, "Oh, I didn't say that." Here's exactly what my expectations mm-hmm. are, and they either meet it, exceed them, or fall short. So we'll recycle this. This was Justin's bare minimum Tigers offseason. Now some of this already went out technically, but I said this months ago: bring Justin Verlander home, sign a premier shortstop. Spend eight million plus on another free agent. Now I'll amend this graphic. And the last time we used it, <laughs> seeing what some of the estimates were, I did amend that to say somewhere more in the fourteen to fifteen million dollar range. When I saw what sort of the middle class guys were going for, but and for the Verlander thing, it could have been another similar starter of profile. Mm-hmm. So I, it didn't have to be him. So I'm looking at this as basically they're one for three. I would I, I'm okay with some hesitancy equating Eduardo Rodriguez to the quote, bring Justin Verlander home thing. I mean, Verlander is making like 10 million more a year on his one year deal with a um, player option though. Right. So I, he, I just, yeah, I, to me, I'm being very generous, even checking that box because I, I said Verlander would go for 20 to 25 million, which I was, I think got 25. Like Rodriguez is not at that number. So even if I give that to them, they're one for three. So, uh, it, it's not done. I like it. They could go three for three or five for three, but it's a slow start. A month or so ago, uh, this is Brad Galley uh, with a little cut from Al at a press conference wrapping up the year. This is where I first started to panic that this wasn't going to go well. I think I know what clip you're going to use too. And <laughs> we'll work through that. We're going to go right down and keep getting more and more depressing before we hopefully perk back up. So yeah. here's Brad Galley with Al the Tigers are going to spend this offseason. Chris Illich is finally allowing the team to step up and add big talent. But a splash? Al Avila said today he's not afraid of signing long-term deals, but a splash isn't the goal. Winning, he said, that's their goal. I, I will caution you, all right, and, and, and in that this is not going to be, you know, uh, spending like a uh, drunken sailor, you know, those type of comments. It's going to be, a, you know, this is going to be a very measured process. Well, I mean, the drunken sailor, they called Mike Illich a drunken sailor, I heard. Like, that, there was the ultimate drunken sailor spending in the Mike Illich era. And so I'm looking at this. That You know, that's about a month ago. Okay, like, this probably isn't going to go well. They're obviously not going to do nothing. Nobody in the world And they haven't. They have not yet. They've done, they have done something thus far beneath the bare minimum if this which I even nobody thinks this is even the end game but this is not going well early in my opinion it just hmm. for, not just from the actual signings or guys that are have not been signed or signed somewhere else from the tea leaves we're going to get to one more tea leave this this was today evan petzold friend of the show fan of the show friend of mine guest of the show great job yeah well cmu guy yeah i love the guy yeah best hair in the whole uh, state of michigan actually some people say so this is his article in the Detroit Free Press today. Great hair, Evan Petzl. To some on the outside, Carlos Correa becoming a Tiger seems like a slam dunk, but not so fast. A deal is not close. With Correa's asking price expected to reach at least $300 million, the Tigers are currently unwilling to spend that much for one player. That is Evan 
uh, echoing, I'm sure from his own sourcing, because Evan knows who he's you know talking to mm-hmm. and is plugged in as well, echoing the reports we saw and heard from John Heyman. It is very clear that the Tigers have told the, their friends in the media these are strategic leaks. Believe me, it's not the janitor hacking emails. They are getting it out there intentionally, deliberately. We're not going there. And, and unless you, everyone always says, oh, smoke screen, it's a negotiating tactic. That's true maybe one out of 500 times. That's an overrated, like, dumb Twitter fan thing. I think that's legitimate. I, I absolutely believe that. Avila primes the pump in October for this letdown. Okay, guys, like, we're not going to be out there going crazy. Hey, we didn't pull the clip because it happened a couple hours ago. But, you know, Chris Illich asked at the introductory press conference, say, for Eduardo Rodriguez, hey, what about that shortstop? He, he gave the non-answer, that same ambiguous crap. Oh, you know, the money will be there. It's like you told us that in 2017. You just answer the goddamn question. You see, Evan also asked, he's like, how do you feel about a $300 million deal? Yeah. Yeah, that was yeah. great. That I was saw great. that. I meant, I meant I didn't get that in time to pull everything. Like, it's it just, it, but I, they're not going to do that. I, now, whew, I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong because I think that would mean we're getting a piece that we need. I think this is going to be, in some form or another, exactly what I said it was going to be. All off season, I sat here with Tony Paul right before the season, mid season. I've sat here with Evan. I I I think I called my shot. I think I'm going to nail it. I'm going to be pretty damn close. They're going to say, "Here's Andrelton Simmons," or they're going to sign guys, but it's not going to be the premier oomph that we, frankly, I think are owed after this. We've been promises for half a decade, literally. Where are you at with this now mentally? Where do you think this goes? How do you feel confidence-wise that we're going to be happy in the end of this? Okay. I have two points I'm going to make here. One, I will actually say that thus far, and we are still admittedly in the infantile stages of the offseason. I mean, we're, we're, it's not even December yet. Thus far, I like the two moves they've made. Now, because of the way things are going to shape up, every move that isn't Correa People are going to say, ah, come on, it's Illich doing his, it's Avila, you know, screwing up again. I know he's not a world beater, but Tucker Barnhart will play a part on next year's Tigers team. I think he, he makes them better. I know he's not Kershaw in his prime, but Eduardo Rodriguez is a good pitcher. And it, analytically, he grades out to be a very good pitcher. And I think he's going to have some good years in Detroit. As far as... The shortstop goes. And here's where I'm actually going to defend them a little bit. I want Carlos Correa in Detroit. Carlos Correa is, maybe I'm missing somebody. I don't think I am. The best player, period, on the market. He will be, if he keeps up this trajectory, a Hall of Famer one day. He's an incredible talent. If it was my money, I'm going 300 plus. On Correa. Now, I, people are talk about the the amount of money. I think more so what he's going to be looking for is the AAV, you know, the annual per, you know, per year. Um, but I would still, I would, or what, what did, um, I think Lindor got $34 million a year. I'd be willing to give him, uh, you know, more than that. He's a great, great player. And I want him here. And I know the Tigers fans want him here. I, I know that. I've seen it. Like, people are so excited. People freaked out about a, a, a brunch that, they, that he had with our manager last week. He is also not the end-all, be-all of free agency. Again, if it was my money, I'd sign him. And I think, knowing how rich Chris Illich is, 
they should be able to dish out the money to sign a guy like that. But there are four free agent shortstops, I believe, of the really good ones that remain on the market. All of them will make the Tigers better, not just next year, but probably for the next several. Now, I understand completely people's frustration, and I share that frustration. The idea of what have we been waiting for? And I, I get that completely. But I also think it's fair, fair to say that one of the issues, not the main issue, the main issue was that they couldn't build a farm system. But one of the issues as to why this rebuild ended up being a thing in the first place was you, you give long-term contracts to guys who are probably not going to give you their prime years. Now, I push back against that when it comes to Correa because Carlos Correa is 27. I keep seeing these, these comparisons. They drive me nuts. These comparisons of people being like, well, we gave the Zimmerman deal. and We gave the Victor Martinez. Victor Martinez was like collecting social security checks when we signed him to a long-term deal. That doesn't count. Carlos Correa is 27 years old. You can sign him. But what Illich wants, what Avila wants, and what I want is a baseball team that next year can make the playoffs. Not saying they're going to win the World Series, but I know that there's shortstops on the market right now that they can go out and get that can put them in position to be a wild card contender. Now, if, as you brought up, if this ends with Andrelton Simmons, if this ends with Chris Taylor being the utility uh, shortstop for this team, who, uh, by the way, I think is a wonderful player and I like him a lot. No, no, I'm, I'm not going with that. As I currently stand, I believe they will sign. One of the shortstops. I do not believe it'll be Correa. I want it to be. I think in order, all signs are pointing to the fact that they're not willing to dish out that that kind of money. What could happen is Illich, and Mike Illich had this kind of change of heart multiple times, says, yeah, you know what? Screw it. Let's give him 300 million. But currently all signs are pointing to the fact that that's not going to happen. I do believe they'll sign one of the big ones. I don't know who it'll be. I have kind of, I kind of have issues with all of them. I think lowest floor, or I'm sorry, highest floor right now is actually probably Marcus Simeon, just because I think he would be on the shortest deal of the bunch because he is 30, maybe 31. Um, but it is, it is disappointing because you've tweeted about it. I've seen a lot of people tweet, even people who aren't even big Tigers fans tweet about it. What has this all been for if we're not going to get our Prince Fielder? If we're not going to get our Verlander extension, if we're not going to get that big, hey, we're back kind of signing, um, that would be devastating. But I also don't believe that of the, the shortstops that are available, everybody else other than Correa is a schlub. I mean, Marcus, again, I, don't, I think Correa in the long run will be better. Marcus Semi in the last three years has been a better player than Carlos Correa. Now, he's, he's older. I understand that. But... I think people have have honed in on Correa. I have as well. I wrote a whole blog about it. I mean, my record reflects that. Like, I wrote a whole blog being like, make the deal happen. I don't care how much money. But I also read the tea leaves, and I see where they stand, and I'm accepting the fact that it's probably not going to be that guy, but that does not mean necessarily that the entire sky is falling down when, as it pertains to the Tigers rebuild. I think they can still have a very good team and not sign a Carlos Correa. But again, if it's Andrelton Simmons or somebody like that, then yeah, then I, I will, I will, I will go scorched earth as yeah. well. A majority of Tigers fans, rightfully so. Yeah, it'll be. Was it 2017? Was kind of your peak, like 
pissed off at the Tigers mode. Probably around there. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> 2017, Chris was peak pissed off at everything. Yeah. Peak, well, peak pissed off when he got, somebody got his order wrong at, you know, Taco Bell. But yes, we're I, gonna I have ta- We're going to have angry Taco Bell Chris back yeah, for, at, for at least one point, day. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'll push back a little bit. Get you, to the playoffs and we'll see what you, happens. You said Marcus Simeon has been much better the last three years. Simeon couldn't hit the ball last year. I mean, he was horrible in the Dude, short but, and COVID year. I'm sorry. Correa couldn't either. He had a 700 OPS well, in the COVID year. Uh, it was close in terms of uh, war. Okay. It was close. Let's, let's I, check, I, I, let check. me let me check. I can Hold check on. my phone as well. Hold on. Um, so I'll talk. I'll talk though. See, I am uh, on the um, general point. I am not on the Korea or bus thing that so many are on. I, I don't. Th- I didn't think you were either, but I I know how many fans are are feeling this way. Oh, right? look at that, Simeon. Six seventy nine OPS. Was Korea anywhere close? Korea, I think was in the low seven hundreds uh, at you, a you, much you, more you'd be, you'd at a much right, more though. hitter friendly park. His mm-hmm. OPS plus was probably the, about the same. The other thing, you're right, 709. You're right. So not a, not that much better. The one thing I'll say, too, with Correa, though, defensively, not even close. He's the He's, best defensive shortstop in baseball. According to any analytics. Outside yes. of maybe Anderson Simmons, but he's not going to put up a 500 OPS. Like no, seven, no. So. I, I mean, he's, yeah. yeah, you know, pound for pound, bad for bad. No, I, dude, like, I want him. I want him no, no, so I, bad. But, but hold on, I, though. Yeah. It, Simeon, I'm fine with Simeon. Do I have concerns that the guy has been in the league 10 years and has been basically bad for eight of them? Yeah. I mean, he was like a... Mm. I, I, I mean... I also think that he has admitted, and other people, maybe not him, but people have admitted that uh, he fell into the launch angle craze in a good way where he was a ground ball machine when he was in Chicago. When he got to uh, Oakland, he got progressively. I knew, dude, I know. I know. It's Correa pretty shitty. Is I the, mean, 706, 722, 735, 715, 673. He was right. Not Raider. knocking it. Not knocking it. So, I'm just, I'm just, and I, all the other shortstop has, shortstops have glaring holes in their game. Like Javi Baez is a good player. He strikes out every other at bat. I don't want Baez. I, Seager. I don't. I like Seager. It's not going to happen. He's the least likely, though, because I think he's going to stay West Coast. And I think um, I I don't New York. But you see, I think story. But okay, there's these rumors about how New York might not even might stick with Torres. I saw that. Yeah. Which is so stupid. Like. Seager would Seager would hit forty home runs a year for them. I in, think in that gonna, I still think they're going to sign him. I, I saw that report you're talking about. Yeah. I don't. I, I still think they're going to sign. It'd be so stupid not to. I mean, their their offense last year was looks brutal. If they, I'm not a Correa or Bus guy. Correa and then fill in the roster, whatever with whatever. Are At you a point, Correa or Seager guy? Yeah, I, I'm okay. not even sure. Like the defense tilts it to me. I I think I think Seager will have a better next five years with the stick. But you're talking about a guy who's at best average defensively that's going to have to switch positions in like two years mm-hmm. in Seager versus the best defensive shortstop that, in baseball. That is, that, that is matters. an issue. That is an issue, by the way, that I think people have overlooked with this team where you look at last year's team. Hey, they got some good pitchers. Hitting is weirdly kind of come around. Jamer had a very good year. You know, yeah. I'm still very skeptical about guys like Badu and Haas, but you know, Robbie had a really good year last year. Grossman was solid. You know, they've got some players, but Watching the Braves last season, the the way they won it, and there's a million different ways to win a World Series, but you have Austin Riley and Dansby and Albies and Freeman and Darnold in an outfield with, you know, before he got injured, Acuna. Those are six plus defenders, six to seven plus defenders. You look at the Tigers right now, your best defender is probably Scope at second. And he barely played second last year. Maybe Barnhart at catcher. This is a team that needs to severely improve uh, defensively if they want to get to where they want to get to 
Like I, I really probably their best defender is Derek Hill, who I think has a high upside, but and will split time with Badu next year, but can't stay healthy. I mean, that that's his, you know, that's one of his big problems. So that's that's the other reason why, because people say, oh, is Correa's power gonna carry over in, in Comerica? Who cares? If if the let's say the bat completely falls off, you're still getting a three-war player solely based on the fact that he has a rocket arm at shortstop and doesn't make a ton of mistakes. I mean, I think that that is like Seeger, who I love, you're right. Good defender, not a great one. And I could see that that kind of his defensive prowess kind of dissipating over the next couple yeah, seasons. Yeah, I, I wouldn't even call him good. I mean, he's a defensive. He's passable. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely. Semyon passable. is a better de- de- uh, defensive shortstop probably than he is. And he, he didn't even play short uh, last he's year. He's playing yeah. second. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and Simeon at, sec- at short, especially again, I, th- I believe he's 31. Like, mm-hmm. that's not going to get prettier. <laughs> I don't know. I like, we agree. Korea is number one, but I am, I'm fine with. Simeon and a third big free agent, but you know, se- b- b- middle big. Simeon big for big. how long? I don't think he's going to get some crazy. I, I don't deal. think he's I, getting more than five, four or five. Yeah, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But I'm just talking about roster construction, mm-hmm. like, uh, but story. How much more do we need to see? The guy is Jonathan Scope, at best, away from course. He's a seven as a hitter. Field. He is a good defender. He is a That's good, what I'm talking good, about. Yeah, as a hitter, yes. Yeah. You're right. I'm talking, I mean, it's just a good player, a good mm-hmm. player on any park in any town in the world, but that's not a move the needle. We we just signed the second baseman version of him in terms of the bat. That's not going to move the needle. No. Like Baez, I mean, look, the Cubs are kind of my B team. I grew up a big Sammy Sosa fan, lived in Same, Chicago yeah. for four years, had season tickets, our partial plan there. Like, I've seen a lot of Baez. I'm good. Like pa- pass. No thanks. It's a weird. Po- I think what concerns me about him is I think when he has a drop off, it's going to be a severe yeah. dip because analytically with the strikeouts and like he walks like I'm not even joking like 13 times a year. Like it's hilarious how low his walk rate is. I think when the league and you saw it in the COVID year when the league kind of figures out how to pitch to him the drop he has is going to be severe. Like he'll go from like an 800 to a 500 something OPS kind of player. Yeah, and that, that guy's like warring with his fans in New York all year. I don't know if you. Yeah, I, I saw, I mean, you know, a different circumstance. I, I don't put a ton of that. You know, if he plays in Detroit and plays well, nobody's going to give a shit, but I, I do. Yes, you're right. It's, there are concerns. Um, it, It's annoying. It's, it's cause it's so simple. Like, Occam's razor is just get Correa. Like, just go out and sign your guy. You have the money to do it. Um, I don't believe it'll happen. So they're going to try to, you know, Frankenstein's monster this thing together. But I also more, more so than quite frankly, ever before have faith in the people in charge in the dugout, which kind of makes me think, okay, whoever, whatever team they have, they, they could be able to kind of make some moves here. And win some games, uh, more you know, in and overshoot their win projection. Partly why I like the Rodriguez signing more and more when I think about it. It's mm-hmm. like talent's there. The guy strikes out a ton of guys. Like yeah. Fetter was really he was the unluckiest pitcher in baseball. Last yeah, year. I yeah. saw that yeah. too. Uh, yeah, Fetter's Fetter's gonna squeeze the most out of him. And there's all you know, he's good to begin with. Yeah. So we pulled the aforementioned a long time ago, Tony Paul. This was one of my favorite episodes personally. This was back in He's August. Great. Yeah. He did, he does such a good job. But he was way on the other side of me. I was, you know, Johnny Pessimist over here. He was saying, oh, it's possible they could make a run at Scherzer, Verlander, JD, and Castellanos. Like literally that's what he said if the right opt-outs were in place. I, I thought he was nuts. I was probably too far the other way. But this was Tony's take back in August, specifically about Chris Illich and 
what it means if he blows this offseason and doesn't spend big. And you have a team that looks like they could contend. It's the re- fans are sick of the rebuild. It, you've already lost the season ticket base to an extreme. They won't even tell us. They've never told us exactly. But you can be pretty sure that there's maybe a couple thousand season ticket holders right now. And if you want that to continue, then do nothing. But I just don't, I, I think that he's got to be smarter at business. And this is a business to him. Smarter businessman than that. I mean, if you're That's not right. going to spend now, why are you in the business? I mean, you're not making money hand over fist with this team. You know, if you're not selling tickets, I mean, they do have a nice TV deal and all that stuff. But, you know, eventually, I mean, there's going to be nobody in the stands. Nobody. Yeah. And it won't be because of a pandemic, because you're a shitty owner <laughs> and, and you haven't done what you s- said, promise, whatever that you said you'll do. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because for... I love him so much. Oh, he's, I, the I, I, he's the best. I love how honest he is with all that stuff. I, I, I mean, Tony, he's honest to a fault in his own professional life. Like, he's... He, I did not get this from him. He may even dispute this. I don't care. Like he would be the Tigers beat writer right now if he was hadn't been so honest and hard hitting with them. Yeah, I, I can't speak that, on that obviously, that, but yeah, he he does a great job. It, yeah. Well, just look at the Michigan State thing. He people were mad at him for publishing the Blackwell stuff. It's like he's a reporter. It's in the news. It's public record. Like it's a, people, like Michigan State fans were like calling him a fake Spartan saying he hates his alma mater. It's like the guy's doing his job. Tony Tony And when it turned out to be bullshit, which is really what that story was. I mean, well, Blackwell's I, he right. he came off of it. He wasn't like hammering it like the guy's guilty guilty. He's just guilty. reporting what the yeah. lawsuit said. Yeah. He didn't say it was true. It's just mm-hmm. being a reporter. Tony's the best. He's the reason he's always in my top 5 when I do the top 5 journalists in the state of Michigan, mm-hmm. but love Tony, but anyway, he actually had a little bit of a a point there where for two hours I was the bigger asshole was more cynical, but for five seconds, he went a little more cynical than even I am. I with Torkelson, the Cabrera thing with the chase green Mize, yeah. Hinch squeezing the most out of this team. There's no way, even if they go cheap, that it's going to be like empty. Like he, it's not going to be Oh three. No, yeah. it just wouldn't. I mean, there's more talent there. It's and there's enough there to go down and see. It's not like you're going to see Kevin Witt that lead off like in Oh three. But Chris, Kristen Stewart back cleanup. Yeah. yeah. Jordy, Jordy just, Mercer in the three hole. Yeah. We've been we, we are not to. that far removed from version two of that era. I, I mean, know. Yeah. I know. But so that aside, though, I think he is on the right track and sort of general mm-hmm. mentality for the rational fan. I would view them falling short, which to me, if they sign Baez or Andrelton and basically do nothing else, you know, other than little ancillary moves. I would feel betrayed. I couldn't, in good conscience, go down there and give them my my money. I would have to be invited on a ticket that was already paid for, and and the driver would have to agree to pay for the parking. Like I, I don't want my money being mm-hmm. transferred to them. Like to me, they might be pretty good regardless, even with minimal moves, because Hinch is so good, the staff's so good, they do have the talents coming out. But the 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 implication, though, if they blow this, if they don't meet the commitment. I think AJ Hinch might use that opt out. That's my fear. Brought it up the last time I was on. That's right. Yeah. And Tony talked about it. Tony talked about it as, oh, you know, they would have never hired him if without assurances. He could assure all he wanted. He sat in front of a board and said, hey, if you give me $330 million, look at these beautiful pictures. I'll make that happen for you. They cut the check. He cut and ran. We still haven't seen one pile of dirt shoveled other than for a parking lot there. So don't sell me that, oh, Chris Illich told somebody something. So it's going to happen. He's all for one with a big whiff there. 
And we're like down 0-2 in this count, frankly, with mm-hmm. all the, the news that they're leaking out strategically. That's not, again, coming from the janitor or from the executive VP third in command for marketing. That's coming right from ownership and, and by proxy management, Alvila. They're putting it out there that they're not going to spend big. It's just from... Kind of. I mean, it's not going to spend $300 million, but I... I okay, then what did yeah. we wait for? I know, I, I understand. I waited for you yeah. to spend... Like, you could have done this half-ass shit three years ago. If this, mm-hmm. is, if this was the payoff, I'm mad retroactively. Because I, I said... Fair. I have said on this show for two years, I'm on board. Suck. Tank, if you will. Get the and they were capital. they were great at that. Give them credit yeah. for that. They did a great job of losing. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they they were better than anybody for a minute. The Sands, one, maybe the Orioles, right? The one thing I didn't like that I, I mean, Avila went like one for thirty-seven on those moderate signings and then flipping yeah, them. Like all the Mike Harris- fires, and that was it. <laughs> right, like. but that's yeah, the one yeah. I was thinking of. Like Mercer, Harrison, Tyson Ross, Matt Moore, like all these guys. Liriano, holy shit! <laughs> they're, they're all, what an era, man! They're I mean, all that. It's like you signed twenty of these guys. Can't one of them be tradable at the yeah. deadline? But I digress. Mm-hmm. But just you've been along the ride, you've been tortured, you're more measured and, you know, your years of uh, aging have paid off maybe more than mine. Try to be. Yeah. But like just the human side, don't you think this is bullshit if they half ass this? Cause what did we wait for? Don't give me the moderate spending. You could have done that last year. Oh dude, you know it. And look, I'll tell you what, if they, if they do no more than what they've done, I'll go scorched earth. I mean like that, that, you know, that enraged, you know, Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder Castellani still exists, you know, when he's screaming at that guy on the phone. I I think the moment, here's my opinion on it, the moment where they will completely lose the fan base is the moment you just talked about where they don't do enough and hinge leave. Because, like I said, I've been watching sports for about 18 years. I have never seen a coach or manager in this city with a higher approval rating than what Hinch has right now. People love him. And you know what? They should. He is like, when I was on the last time, you said they got the best manager in baseball. And I agreed with you, but I was like, top two, top three, like we're splitting hairs. No, he's the best manager in baseball by a substantial margin. That'll be the moment when they, because you know, if he leaves, that means Fetter's gone. means the coaching staff is gone. And it means whatever goodwill they may have built up regarding, hey, we got this farm system. Hey, we got Torkelson. We got Green. All of that is gone. Last year, having gone to the park quite a bit, as the year went along, you saw more people kind of getting interested again. Now, Miggy's 500th home run was a big reason for that. That didn't do a whole lot for me. I wanted to win games. That's you know, so like him hitting a home run means they have a better chance of winning the game. But it for the layman out there, it got people to the park. I was at the Cleveland game. I think the second game of that series when they played that home, uh, you know, that home stand, it was a lot of people. It was the loudest I've heard the, the place in about five years. You know, they've bought themselves some goodwill with that. People like Hinch, people like the coaching staff. I'll contend the job he did last year was like one of the best managerial or coaching jobs, like in the history of the city. Quite yeah, I agree. That team a month in, I, w- I, I was looking at the future and I said, they're going to lose 110 games. Avila might just be forced to resign out of embarrassment. They're going to get another number one pick and Hinch is going to just be begging to find another job at some point because they got nothing. They played for, and this is what gives me hope. 
They had an 85 win pace, I believe, the last four months of the season. That is, I believe, one game worse than the 2016 team. That was not an 85 win team, Justin, what they had. What AJ, I think, was great about was they trimmed a lot of fat. I mean, I know teams all year, any team has a lot of roster overhaul, but look at the amount of starters and or second string guys. Mazzara, gone. Ramos, gone. Jacoby, Reyes, Griner, gone, gone, gone. I mean, it was all this, and you brought in the influx with Badu, and Mize was was good. Mize almost didn't make the team out of spring training. AJ had to fight for it. They brought in Derek Hill. Uh, they brought in Jake Rogers. They brought Haas, you can make the argument, kind of saved the season you know, halfway through with what he did in, in June and July. Um, I think he's a master of talent evaluation. That'll be the moment where people turn on him is if they lose a manager that everyone believes in. I think that'll be the instance in which everyone says, yeah, I guess Tigers baseball just isn't going to be relevant anymore because we can't even hold on to the guy that we have believed in for a long time. And so what's the point? They haven't spent, they haven't supplemented the young talented core with any, any sort of roster talent. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I I hope that day doesn't come. Um, but I mean, you know, it there there is that that safety valve for AJ Hinge if the moment does end up happening. Yeah, I think you made a great point there. I didn't even really think about that as like the breaking point for the fan base. But you're right. I mean, you look at the Michigan State example. I was just about with, to say with that. Nick Saban leaving it, Michigan State fans. That was over. That was a quarter century ago. It was 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. We were so and still are so scarred by that. Mm-hmm. That we're, look, I'm I'm for the Mel Tucker extension that's been reported that's coming down. I'm not coming out against it for the record, but we are so scarred by what happened a quarter century ago with Nick Saban walking out the door that we're like, yeah, this guy hasn't done anything really like uh, ten years. Give him yeah. hundred million. I don't give a fuck. Like there, there's not even like a dissenting faction of the fan base because we are so uh, crippled and scarred from what happened with Nick Saban leaving in the late '90s. You know, so I, I just I see that as sort of the uh, unforgivable thing that you do. I didn't think of that in that context till you said that, but mm-hmm. that would be the breaking point. Last thing on Hinch, really quick. I do subscribe to the analytical theory thing about managers being overrated in general, except yeah. with AJ Hinch, who is the one man exception. Yeah, like I, I don't want to misquote the exact number. I think they say that even like a really good manager's worth having two wins. Maybe it's three. This I, guy's worth like yeah. fifteen it, because he transcends. It's not just who am I sending out in the seventh or in the eighth inning. The entire organization is his. It's an organism. The way they prepare, the way their mental training is done, the way they scout. He has got his hands on all of that, and it's all forward-thinking, analytical, he is worth 10-plus wins over replacement Luis Polonia or whatever. There is no way with any other manager that team wins 77 games last year. There's no shot. And and I I brought up the position players, but last year, at the beginning of the year, the bullpen was, it was Soto, Jimenez, Brian Garcia. I mean, they send two of those guys down by the end of the year. Me and you talked about, I thought Kyle Funkhauser was just like, whatever. Like, he's done. Like, he's not going to be... Pitched meaningful innings late in games last year and pitched pretty darn well. Michael Fulmer wasn't, I, I thought Michael Fulmer was just going to be another one of those tragic baseball stories. Another guy that had great stuff and arm blowouts. Michael Fulmer closed games at the end of the year. He was great. He had a one something ERA the last two months of the season. I put that a lot of that on Hinch's ability 
to evaluate talent. And it, it provides me with a lot of hope. But as great as he is, you know, the the ultimate, the final boss battle is you got it. You got to give him some talent here. I mean, like, he was great in Houston, right? It's also worth saying that those Houston teams, we're going to look back on and say, how did they only win one World Series? Those are some of the most talented teams ever. Now, he did a great job with them. He knew, you know, when to stretch Cole, when to stretch Verlander, when to use the bullpen. But um, he has not had that luxury in Detroit. I desperately hope he gets it. Um, time will tell. And it's still, I mean, I've said time will tell for six years. You know, my hairs are growing, going gray at this point. I'm not, you know, I'm, I could I could go without that. But I hope they give him something because he's doing a hell of a job. If they if they fall short this offseason, I, I mean, obviously Hinch cannot doubt now. I think I tried to find this. I I, I can't find confirmation if the opt outs after the second year or the third. It year. was very vague. I believe it's after three. I, I think th- it's after three. The reason I brought yeah, it up is right. the last time we were on is because I think at the time the way the Dusty Baker contract lined up with Houston was that like he could leave and then we, they rehire Hinch. Yeah. Um. I you know now they just gave Dusty I believe one more year which. Gives credence to the fact that they could still bring Hinch back, which scares me. But um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think they'll do this because I think Hinch is smart and he wouldn't take it. But like, give him like the Juwan extension and be like, hey, you want to be here five more years? Like, I, that won't happen because I don't think Hinch knows what's up. But I would be all in favor for it. Yeah. Now, perfect transition. You mentioned Juwan Howard, so yeah. we'll get off the Tigers. You're a pro, so we'll go back to Ann Arbor for a little mm-hmm. bit. We'll we'll kind of button up the the body of the show with Juwan Howard and the Michigan basketball program. Well, there's three and two, two losses as a favorite to Seton Hall and uh, Arizona last night. Um, you know, I don't know what to make of this team really, mm-hmm. having watched a good chunk of both of those losses. It seems to me, and we'll see what your thoughts are, that they are mostly kind of like a a team just sorting themselves out. This seems like one of those teams that is going to have like five losses in the first couple of months and you're going to be like, what the fuck's going on? And then by March they're rolling and you're like, it's, it's like a total afterthought. Hopefully. Yeah. They, they seem to have the pieces there. Like I just, where, where are you at kind of with this team? What do you make of them? What's their ceiling just generally? It's early, but what's your early um, take on them? They're off to a tough start. I, they've played five games. I don't think they've played well really in any game. Um, there is one issue that will plague them all year. They don't have a lot of shooters. Now, I think they can find – like, I just – Caleb Houston was, like, money from three when he was in high school. That's – I think he'll find his stroke. I think other guys will find their stroke. Eli Brooks has been really good. He's the one exception to pretty much all the criticisms. He's very, very underappreciated player, like, in the lore of Michigan history. I, I really like Eli Brooks. But here's my defense of them is that last year's team was loaded. And I remember, like, when I was working at Mason Brew – I know the Big Ten was stacked last year, but they were predicted to finish sixth in the preseason. I remember telling Anthony and Luke, like, I think this team's going to be like really good. Um, and, you know, they they were. They were. They won the Big Ten. Illinois can hang as many round of 32 banners as they want, but that team, they they were they proved it in March by being going to the Elite Eight when every other team in the Big Ten was out in the first weekend. Um, the outside shooting will really be frustrating all year because— Lack of outside shooting creates problems down low. Because last year, when you had Mike Smith, Chondi, Livers, Franz, Brooks, you know, any four of those guys on the floor at one time, and then you had Dickinson down low, respecting the perimeter shooting led to one-on-one matchups down low with 7-100 Dickinson. And um, that created 
a lot of problems. Um, they don't have that. And you saw last night in the Arizona game, every time Dickinson touched the ball, they just collapsed down on him. He was like, I, I felt like they had six guys on the floor at one point. Like they were just, just butchering the guy and I felt bad for him. That will be an issue. I also think that last year's team benefited from the schedule that they had. Um, I know they only played five preseason games, but their first real test that year was Maryland on the road, New Year's Eve. Uh, so they played about 10 games before um, they really, you know, kind of had a, a real opponent and they allowed themselves to get their sea legs under them. People forget, man, they were this close to losing to a terrible Oakland team in the second game of the season. I couldn't believe that when it, I was watching. It took Hunter, uh, Joan realizing, hey, Hunter Dickinson is like really damn good for him to, you know, that them to win that game. They almost lost to a bad Penn State team a few games later. Then they got into the Big Ten season, started rolling. This schedule has not been as favorable. Uh, you should beat Buffalo, but Buffalo is pretty good. Seton Hall is good. Arizona like looks like world beaters. I mean, that's a really well-coached, yeah. good bet. Yeah. That's a team. I know like if you're not UCLA, nobody respects you in the Pac-12. Arizona is a really good basketball team. And Michigan got their doors blown off. They didn't deserve to win. They got completely outclassed, outmanned. Here's where all, there will be a moment where I'll have to draw a line in the sand and say, is this team as good as I thought they were? Because they're going to beat Tartleton State. They'll probably lose to North Carolina on the road. Then they have a six-game stretch where they should be going at least five and one. They do have to go on the road in Piscataway against Rutgers, who returns, you know, Ron Harper and some some other good players. But they got it like Fort Wayne and some other like tough teams. I believe that'll be the stretch where they find their footing. If not, um, they could be in some trouble. I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, you've t- you've talked about it before. In the last ten years, this has been a really good basketball program. You know, it's the sad reality is they're always looking up at Michigan State. But this has been the most consistent team in the Big Ten over the last decade outside of them. And even they're kind of the same number of Final Fours. Same yeah, number. I, I, I mean, wouldn't it's, say it's, they're always looking. You may be selling them a little short saying they're always looking up. A bit. Well, well no, mean, I'm saying be, by in the, from the national media standpoint, oh, I feel I like, you. yeah, because yeah. I but I think overall, yeah, they've they've gone neck and neck with them. And I said it in my post game last night. Good programs find their footing. Michigan's a good program. I think they'll find it. Yeah, I'm worried with that Juwan Howard extension because I was, I was, nobody was rooting more for the NBA to come calling and get Juwan Howard out of here. Like, I have this sort of begrudging, it's not even begrudging anymore, just respect for Michigan basketball that I honestly don't have for Michigan football anymore. I just think Michigan basketball is a lot less talk and more actually. They've gotten actual results. And I mean, like I said earlier, you know, they don't bitch and moan. I mean, like I said, they lost the national championship game to a team that like legitimately did cheat and they, yeah. they just kept rolling. I mean, there was, there was a likability to that program and they've backed it up. Dude, like they were, the UCLA loss last year will always haunt me because like I, st- not Baylor, Baylor was going to win it regardless. I, I think that team probably should have gone to the national championship game. I think they could have beaten Gonzaga and maybe would have. I mean, with, if they played their best basketball, that team was so good. I agree. Yeah. I, I, but I'm also kind of a Gonzaga hater. I just, you know, they play like three real games a year. They always lose at least one of them. Like I just, I, that is the most padded program ever. And that's in their bad. I'm not on the extreme of they're a total like a product of their schedule, but like, I'm sorry. Getting a real conference, they're losing six games every year. Probably, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that's not a bad really year. Good program, that's like 29 yeah. and six. Like that's a yeah. good year in the big, so you won the conference, but this like 35 and oh shit. Sorry. Like. They're playing Santa Clara. Like, yeah, real, like everyone, calm down. He's so different from Beeline. I, I just, but I think they're both going to succeed in different ways. Like, dude, just his, 
the position he has them in now, whatever you think, this morning, they've got their two losses on the books. As of this morning, still have the second best odds tied in the country to win the whole thing. It's also worth pointing out the Big Ten stinks. I mean, the last I, well, not stinks, oh, but they've struggled. Yeah. The Illinois lost, I believe, two games. They were down 13 the last I checked it was since we started recording this podcast. And some other teams have struggled. You know, they'll find, they'll be all right. They'll be all right. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, I'm still with them. The, these, my biggest frustration is that guys who have played here more than one year outside of Dickinson and Brooks, I don't know. I, I'd like Brandon Johns a lot, but I've, uh, I've met Brandon Johns, but I, and I feel bad saying that he's so nice. He's such a sweet guy. He's got to play a lot better, man. He's a fourth year player and he's dribbling off his foot and getting his shots blocked. Like I couldn't, that, ha- couldn't happen to a better guy, frankly. How, how do you go to school? I mean, you, you're kind of like the non-athlete version of this. Like you grew up in the backyard of East Lansing. And well, I don't get yeah. how you even like help yourself. Or was, is it, like an anti, like you, you didn't, you were mine in your, well, my dad yeah. went to Michigan. Oh, was okay. my, that's, my that's I, people, and people get so butthurt. I don't, I, I know don't you care. don't, I've done but like get, teasing, to me, gatekeeping but. fandom is such an annoying thing. Like it's just, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair, and, fair. and, and I'm sure there was even third grade Chris, who's just like misery will be your brand for a majority of your life yeah. until the Tigers win the world series. So that's what I chose to be. And yeah, that's where we're I at. I wanted yeah. Brandon John. So it's not like legit. You can go anywhere you want. I don't care. Right. But it's just, it is kind of like, you know, from someone that wanted him and he slanted, it was like, come on, man. Like you, you I was surprised. No, it was right surprising. There. Yeah. Like, um, but anyway, yeah. So I don't, I like what they're doing, but even again, with the two losses, the perception is they are, I mean, they're tied with Duke and Kansas behind only Gonzaga for the best odds. Yeah. Do you think, I mean, look, we know they're not playing like that now. At the end of the day, you think this team has that kind of ceiling. It's so hard to go on that six-game run. We all know that. But is it in them to do it? Right now, no. I mean, but we're five games in. You know, and yeah. that's, that's the other thing, too, is having been around East Lansing long enough and having been around Michigan and Ann Arbor long enough, I have seen teams that in mid-February I looked at and said, that team blows. They don't have it. And they went to the Final Four. I know how this, like, I, the prime example is like 2015 Michigan State, but I'm sorry, yep. people forget Michigan in 2018, regardless of the lock and the breaks, was clanking free throws at Northwestern. And I said, all right, yeah, this you know, second weekend, maybe, you know, Sweet 16, won the Big Ten tournament, made it to the national championship game. So we got, a, we got way too long a ways to go before I am saying, hey, lower expectations. Um, and again, if there will be that moment where I say, okay, it's it's time we reevaluate and and kind of say maybe maybe it's time this is a only first weekend in of the tournament kind of kind of group but I, I don't see that with that I don't know. I, I'm yeah I'm on the side with you where like obviously it's not pretty right now I just there's differences like I've seen teams look bad early like I mean I don't want to shit on them too much because I've done it enough but like I looked at like Foster Lawyer. For five seconds. Your boy. This guy will never be good. And then, uh, you you know, after his freshman year, you're reading all these articles about he's going to be good. Uh, You see him the first two games of the next year, other than his one, he went off against a Mac team. Like, this guy doesn't have it. When I look at Michigan's personnel, they look good. They passed the eyeball test. It just, it looks kind of clunky. I mean, they're wet behind the ears. And it's it's fair to say, dude, they lost a lot of good players. Like, I know, like, he... He did not underachieve, but I know that like Franz as from a scoring perspective, maybe wasn't like 
the the 20 point a game guy that some people Franz Wagner was one of the best players in the country. I'm sorry, he was. He's the best defender I believe great like graded out to be last year. He could drive the ball. Yes, he would have those moments where he like fell short. Really good player. Isaiah Livers was a four-year guy who could shoot the hell out of the ball. The guy I love and was Chaundy Brown. Where the guy would just come off the bench was just a menace defensively and dude, it was hilarious. Like clockwork. Every time he came off the bench, he's hitting a three. And it was so weird because he wasn't like a three-point shooter at Wake Forest. He shot like 30% for three. He was great. Like they, they are replacing guys, and I believe they'll find their footing. I really do. Yeah, I'm with you on that. So it's, despite your Michigan State surroundings here, yeah. um, I mean, I'm high on Michigan basketball. I really like them. I mean, I, it's so hard to say anybody's going to win the national title because it's so hard. Mm-hmm. But I think they're legitimately in the discussion. I don't think it's ridiculous that they're up there. So we'll wrap there other than our special speed round. We teased it with you a little bit before you get – the special treatment with your own little graphic and a themed speed round. You're a Hollywood guy. You're a movie guy. So let's get it going. Chris Castellani does Hollywood version of the speed round. We're looking at ourselves right now. There you go. All right, well, if you noticed, uh, Chris had to step away for 10 seconds, so I'm just going to talk. I'll I'll put a button really quick on the Juwan Howard thing. I think it's kind of funny that I've completely botched the Michigan Athletic hires, their two biggest hires, where I was, like, extremely wrong on Jim Harbaugh. I thought he was going to be the bee's knees, and thus far he's been a total bust. And you flip it, and then you look at John Beeline, the basketball hire before Howard, I thought he was going to be a total disaster, would never make an Elite Eight, and then ended up thriving. So I, I don't know. I was going to get to that a little bit more, but I'm looking at the clock. I'm like, I got to get poor Chris out of here. But the Juwan Howard thing, I, I was more neutral on. I, I've learned my lesson about going too strong on any Michigan coaches pro or con because I got too so famously wrong in the opposite direction. But the Juwan Howard thing, I just think it's working. I think it's a bummer for Michigan State that he's still here. I was not convinced, but hopeful that he would go to uh, the NBA. So uh, I don't know. Like I do have a healthy fear of them. The the Michigan State Michigan thing this year is going to be really fascinating. We're going to do the Michigan State show at some point pretty soon, but uh, we'll get to that. So Chris is joining us again. We're going to do the the Chris does Hollywood speed round. Chris is back. Welcome. Hopefully you didn't like die on your way through the. No, we're good. Man. I just I. Wanted to give you the best speed round possible, my friends. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Thank, you're get, thank you very prepared, much. Getting prepared. You're a professional broadcaster. Make, making, I appreciate me, it. making me say nice things about Juwan Howard again. But I, I, he's, I but he's that's a, he's such a likable guy. I know what am he? I supposed to say? I, he's it's so like the way I remember like I still the way he handled himself last year, like during the COVID year too, which I I never really talked about this publicly. That shutdown they had was like such bullshit to me. Where somebody from the gymnastics team tested positive for COVID and the basketball team shut down for a month, like they just kept rolling. Like it is a weird, there's a weird like thing where that program like doesn't make a lot of excuses. So, and I, I've, yeah, I, that's why I believed in the extension. Cause I don't, there's nobody out there that I feel like is going to be doing a better job. Three, oh, four no, years no, bra- yeah. no extension was a no brainer. Like he needs to tell you when he's leaving at this point, frankly, mm-hmm. like make I, him, make him leave. Right. Make, make, yeah. If, right. if three, if two years from now he's gone to a final four and I don't know, Pistons, let's say, say, Hey, we want you here. He, and he left. I'm not going to be mad, but I do think that they were so caught off guard by Beeline when he left 
that they they finally I'm not gonna say panics, but we're like we gotta lock down our guy here because this program's been too good over the last decade plus to be losing multiple coaches. I, I yeah. hate that I don't hate them, and I hate I hate that I didn't hate Beeline. I just don't. I, and most most Michigan State fans, I, I think, don't. So let's get to it. The Chris does Hollywood speed round. I you know we're both movie buffs. Everyone. You know, everybody except my last guest, Kennedy Broadwell from Woodward Sports, she goes, like, I don't like movies. It's like, what? What? He doesn't like, how do you not like movies? It's like, I don't like air or, or music. But uh, she's the only one. Everybody likes them. I don't them. like air. Well, yeah. she, she said A little she, bit similar. Yeah, she, oh, sure. To you, it might to, be. To me, yes. Yeah, yes. To I, me, air, to me, sports and movies go beyond oxygen. I, yeah. Yes. I'm also a rare breed, my friend. I was, yeah. I usually am ready to be like surprised. But when I had someone you know, the last show tell me that they just don't like movies, like I, that, I didn't even know what to do with that. I was mm-hmm. so stunned. It was the most stunned I've ever been in this chair anyway. So we'll move on. It's the all Hollywood speed round we touched on kind of a similar one but i wanted to revisit it with a little bit of a different framing what is the worst movie that everyone thinks is really good to me the latest one is top gun i saw it a month ago or two months ago i for the first time i was told it was like one of the best movies ever absolutely terrible but what's one that we just get wrong the one I used, uh, I think two times ago when I was on was raiders of the lost ark which is just like fine a recent example, and I'm going to break David Klein's heart here because I know he loves the series. I thought Dune fucking sucked. Didn't I see it. It, it bored the absolute hell out of me. And again, it's it's that's what people, you know, that's the people are entitled to their opinion. I really am glad. Like I'm again, much like with rivalries, like I'm really glad people have enjoyed it. And like I just it just bored me so much. Um, another example. Now, what, this is going to be another one of those things where when I leave, I'll think of a million examples. But now that I'm 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 put on the spot here, I have a tough time. Um. Hmm. Okay, here's one. And again, I'm I'm always breaking somebody's heart. I think this might be my mom's favorite movie. Um, so sorry, mom. Uh the sound of music is just okay. Okay, you can get out of here, please. Oh, do you love you see okay? Here's I think it's I I completely understand its historical relevance and I understand why it was a big deal. If I'm ranking musicals, it's not in the top ten. Like it's not even like top. It's a terrible ending. The show and the movie have a terrible ending. They're just I'm like, about to get a text, I feel like, from her saying, oh, my God, what are oh, you doing? I got her back. But yeah. the one thing I'll say, I've always said, the I've seen you know the, the live production a couple of times. I actually saw Billy Zane as Captain Von Trapp in Chicago. That was kind of cool. My wife was the only one that got to see him afterwards. He had an alias limo. It was like A. Folano or something. And my wife's like, that's 100% Billy Zane. They're like, who the fuck's A. Folano? And then he walked out. I digress. The ending is a mess. They're just like. Oh uh, yeah, uh, climb every mountain, and we're just gonna walk away. Right. Like there's there's no yeah. like bow on it, but the body of it is so good. That's man. fair, and I understand. I guess I'll, I'll go with a recent one that I actually did see in theaters. That uh, and I, you know, I disagree with the Oscars yearly. So this, but a fairly recent one, uh, Birdman was a movie that like I just watched. And I'm like, this is well, good performances. It's well directed, but like. I don't like any of the characters in it. And I, again, I disagree with the Oscars like all the time, but I remember when that one best picture in a really great year when you had like whiplash and, and gone girl and like Selma, I remember being like, man, eh, fines, whatever. But yeah, I, I, um, I, I guess I, I need to see more classic movies so I can hate on more classic movies. Yeah, you got to hurt my feelings yeah. more. Birdman, you, Howard Stern, and I all agree on Birdman. I was like, what the fuck That's is fine. this? It was fine. It was like it really good fine. performances, but it was, yeah, it, was it, was, it, was, it was not even fine. It was bad. And I'm a huge Edward Norton fan, Michael Keaton fan. I, the no, cast, they're, and they're great in it. Yeah. Everyone in it is really good. I just found it boring. The performances yeah. aren't bad. It's yeah. like, what the hell am I watching? Mm-hmm. So next one, just as a general matter, 
celebrity cameos in movies. Now we we threw Donald Trump at Home Alone too, but we, we rarely pull a clip for the speed round. But this one I wanted to point out. This is to me one of the worst clips ever. Ben, can you please play the David Bowie Zoolander cameo, the worst bottom five worst cameo in the history of cinema? You're going against the grain because a lot of people love this. This one is too. horrible. Yeah. Yeah, ben, can you play that for us? All right, who's going to call this sucker? If nobody has any objections, I believe I might be of service. Okay, that's just a microcosm of that kind of cameo where it's like, mm-hmm. it's not even organic. We're not even building it in. It's not Will Ferrell, you know, at the end of Wedding Crashers where it's like this character's been teased throughout. Where he actually they, has a role. Exactly. A, right. This that, is just like, here's David Bowie. Let's dance. There's a song. Blah, 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 blah. Like, to me, as a general matter, the Wedding Crashers thing, I hesitate to even call that a cameo. That was a short, it was a minor role. Yes. Yeah. Some people call it a cameo, but like a true David Bowie and Zoolander cameo, I am a snob. I'm a purist. I hate it. I do not like it mm-hmm. at all. Where do you stand generally on cameos? This is so funny because I just saw three movies in the last week that featured kind of similar, like, subject matter. cameos. Yes. Okay. I'm not going to spoil one of them, but like I just watched Tick, Tick, Boom with Andrew Garfield as Jonathan Larson. Great movie. Like one of the better movies I've seen this year, but it's directed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. And there's one scene where cast members from the show Hamilton show up and they're just there. Like you could have cast some theater actor working for scale could have just been there. And I, it takes me out of the movie because I just go, oh, hey, it's Philippa Sue. It's, it's uh, uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry from, uh, from Hamilton. I, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to do it. I would say the antithesis of the cameo you just mentioned in terms of a comedy cameo that actually does it right because it played into it, Bill Murray in Zombieland, where like he shows up and it's Bill Murray playing himself and he's, they, they, you know, him and Woody Harrelson get high and they pretend to be Ghostbusters. That's funny. Now, ironically, no spoilers, I just watched Ghostbusters Afterlife in theaters. And um, without spoiling anything, seeing four 80-year-old men play dress-up in cameos was not the most enticing thing to me. Um, there's a way to do it and there's a way not to. I think that more often than not, movies just rely on, hey, it's that guy. And I hate that. Like, you got to give them something to do, some funny dialogue. Um, but yes, I, as somebody who's a believer in, like, the immersion of films, more often than not, I can't stand it because you get to that point and you just say, oh, yeah, it's, it's that guy. Like even you, you brought up David Bowie. I love the movie The Prestige, Christopher Nolan, you know, really good movie. But there is a moment where like Nikola, I think it's Tesla, is played by David Bowie. And there's one, there's some celebrities who are just so big that when you see him, you go, it's hard to buy him even in a role because when he shows up in that, I'm like. Yeah, you know, this movie's really good and he gives a good performance, but the whole time I'm like, it's David Bowie. Cool. Like yeah. it's it's a weird thing where it kind of it really does have a tendency to kind of take you out of the movie. So I understand like your criticism there. If it's something like Home Alone 2, okay, I get that's like two seconds long. And it does take place in New York. Like, you know, okay, it's neat. He runs into Trump, fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I, I do see where you're coming from, where it just feels like, why are they here to begin it's with? It's tacked yeah. on. I'm yeah. not saying it's bad 100% of the time. No, they, I, I gave the, you know, one example, whether you call it a cameo, a short role with Will Ferrell. Um, you know, I, I just, like, even forget the cameo. Beyonce and, was it Goldmember or whatever the Austin Powers? And she was, in, well, she was in that 
really terrible Pink Panther remake they did. I with, did not see that. But the one time I've seen her, I know she's been in a few, was that Austin Powers movie. I'm like, Beyonce the whole mm-hmm. time. I mean, it was yeah. kind of a bad movie. Which you anyway. can't really blame them for, for being that famous. Like, it's hard to, because they just, they're just trying to play a role. Yeah. But like her, Michael Jackson, Prince, David Bowie are like those, they have that, Madonna's, like Madonna's terrible in every movie she's ever been in because you just see that's another one that stinks was that yeah. one dumb james bond movie it was the last of the brosnan films die another day where madonna just shows up and again yeah, you're just, she did the theme song for it and immediately you're like you know and, and that would it's not even that it's madonna but like i really like skyfall but if adele would have showed up halfway through it i would just okay, yeah, well, it's like you don't see chris cornell walking right. through the casino royale which like, he showed up because that theme song Slaps. Uh, that is that's, that's my favorite Bond theme. For, ever. Forget theme so, song. That's like one of my twenty favorite, favorite songs ever. <laughs> like, I, I, no, I listen to it when I work out. Also, maybe in my top twenty favorite movies. I love. I'm a huge fan album. too. Le Chiffre with his bleeding eye. Nothing, one of the best. In yeah, he wipes his eye. Yeah. I mean, it's it'll put a button on the cameo thing. It's kind of to me biased because I like the topic. But the best podcast in the country right now is Bill Simmons, the rewatchables where they go back and watch these movies and break them down. And I think it's the best, but Simmons always says narrators in movies. He's extremely against. There's a few exceptions. Morgan Freeman and Shawshank is great. Right. It works really Morgan Freeman. And anything. Yeah. But, I mean, there, there's a few where it's nest like fight club, obviously like it fight enhan- club. adds to the movie. Well, the narrator is the character literally called the narrator right. in the book. That's a, the biggest exception mm-hmm. ever. That's acceptable, but it can be done. But, it's got like a 97% fail rate to Simmons. That's what he thinks. I think it's the same thing with cameos. It's, mm-hmm. it's very low success rate. We'll move on. Yeah. The state of Hollywood generally. Now, we talked about this a little bit. I'm not going to hone in too much on the superhero movie because we, we did that last time, although we did it for the graphics sake. Yeah. But I think just generally, not picking on Spider-Man or anything, movies are just not as good as they used to be. I look I would at the agree. 90s, early 2000s. Comedies are not half as funny because things are not acceptable anymore. 100%. The dramas are, are repackaged or they're 72% of something I've already seen before. Just a little bit different take on it. You agree things are just not as good now? This has been, I've seen about 40 something movies, like mainstream movies this year. Um, I will be able to compile a list of about 20 movies that in any other year would make my bottom 10. I mean, like it's been, it has been like a really bad, uh, like bad year for film. Like I just watched, they did a reboot of home alone that dropped on Disney plus and it stinks. It will not make my bottom 10. It, it's, it's really bad. It's, it's not funny. It's like complete retread, but it's no, I'm, I'm with you. Here's what gives me some hope. And I think it's misplaced hope, but I'll say it anyway. With movie theaters, I believe, pretty much dying for the most part. I think that in films not being able to make the money at the, at the theater that they were, say, even two years ago, I think that Hollywood, to a certain extent, will have to pivot and not put not just say, all right, we're going to throw $200 million at this piece of crap and it'll make money. I think that they're going to have to be a little bit more savvy with how they go about their business, which does give me some hope. But, like, yeah, I mean, I... I've seen, like I said, I've seen 40 movies this year. There's four that I've really liked out of four. I mean, every, most of them have just been terrible, dude. Like, really, really bad. Um, I think also, like, it, that happens when markets get oversaturated. Like, that's just, it happens in every industry. It happens in the food industry, like, you know, everywhere where, where the more 
demand you have for something, the more products you put out and, and the worse those products get. But no, I'm I'm with you that I've been disappointed by the way movies have been made over the last uh, several years. Now, it, every so often I'll see a movie where I'm like, okay, this is, I'm really looking forward to this or I think this is going to be really good. Like I know, I know you as a big musical theater guy, like I'm, I'm really excited for the West Side Story. Oh movie, yeah. Right. Like oh, yeah. my, I, not Big only time. am I excited, like it's going to be a movie I'm going to see with my family. Right. Oh, yeah. But there is a part of me because I know how Hollywood works where it's like, dude, don't, please don't screw this up. Like, I'm a believer in that one. I, cause Spielberg, it's Spielberg yeah, right. It's, Spielberg, he's not going to fuck it up. Jamie, Steven Spielberg is like the Jamie Moyer of directors where he's like 80 and he's still throwing complete games. Like every time yeah. he goes, like he has really not made. There's, I never saw Ready Player One, but like his last decade where it was like Lincoln, War Horse, which I'm not saying were like his, the post were not like, you know, his greatest achievements, but like he's still going strong. I'm a believer in that one, but still like 20 years ago, if they remade West Side Story, I'd be like, oh, it'll, it'll work. Like, I mean, Hollywood, you know, I trust that. Now it's like, I don't know, man. I'm I like, do we'll trust see. the hands it's in. I mean, he never gets chased in the second inning if we're using the picture. Right, like, right. Yeah. You know, he's he's always like going to give you five, eight, and three earned runs. Like, mm-hmm. he'll keep your team in the game. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that one. I, I, I We're big whiplash guys. We've talked about that My favorite before. movie the last probably 13, I was just going to say that, like, I don't, I'd have to look at the, the time step. What was it, 2014? 2014, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, whiplash. Still haven't seen anything in seven years since that I liked as much as that. Same, no. We're just, I'm not in that, like, I haven't seen a movie in seven years. I'm still wondering who took the fucking folder in Whiplash seven years later. I haven't seen anything like that since. And even like the five years prior, where seven years later, five, seven, ten years later, I'm sitting here debating a major plot point. I just, whereas like in the 90s, I, you know, I'm still having debates with my friends about seven. Yeah. Like, you know, from 1995. Which, dude, that's, okay, I, I want to bring, I'm so glad you brought that up and this will go on a tangent, whatever. I, I got Tangent away. Yeah. It's so weird that like when Joker came out, there were all these exposés and think pieces about this movie is going to incite violence. It's the most horrifying thing we've ever seen. I went back and looked up like the box office for seven, thinking it was just kind of this underground movie that like, you know. It was like, huge. It was a big hit. And seven is so much more disturbing than anything that happens in Joker. Like, I mean, like, the last 10 minutes alone, it's like the most dour ending ever to a movie. And it just, it goes to show that I think one of the reasons why films have gotten worse is that audience, audiences are not as acceptable of something like that. Like, the leave, forget the ending. The massage parlor scene in Seven with the the guy, you know, the the, the switchblade. Like, I mean, that's uh, yeah. what horrifying. If that happened today, that movie is not. It wouldn't even see the light of it day. It flashes to the Polaroid. Right. For yeah, like I mean, it's one point two seconds. Yeah, it's it's so. I think one of the reasons why Hollywood is not as strong as it used to be is because they can't be. Like when I, my big like year of development movie wise was two thousand eight, and I look back at that year, and you had Dark Knight. Dark Knight was obvious, but you had Slumdog Millionaire, and you had Benjamin Button and Frost Nixon and Iron Man. The comedies that year, you had Pineapple Express and Step Brothers and Forgetting Sarah Mart. Like a great year. Like you have nothing like that nowadays. Like There's I mean, ten good movies you just ran. I know. Like, and I'm I'm leaving out a lot. I'm leaving out like you know. I liked Cloverfield from that year. I like. I mean, there's a lot. Even some of the bad movies are kind of good from that year. I mean, it's it's um. It's it's sad to me that like kids like the 13 year old uh, today is not going to have that kind of like influx of really good movies that 13 year old me got when he was growing up. And I think that at some point Hollywood will either have to adjust or we're just going to see less movies or more bad movies. I don't, it's been terrible. It's, it's such a bummer. It's been a bad run. Like my favorite movie of last year. 
which I did really, really love, was Promising Young Woman. I thought that was a really good movie. I didn't see it. But it would have been like five in other years in my top 10 list. Like it was not, you know, it was my favorite, but there were a lot, a lot of other years. I'm like, yeah, it's whatever. You know, I mean, it's really good, but yeah, no, they've, I'm, I'm with you, man. It's kind of depressing. It's very depressing. Mm-hmm. So we'll go to something a little more exciting. Uh, this is sort of a revised version. Chris Castellani's Hollywood dream date in 2021. You're off Emma Watson. She's no longer. Stone. All right, Emma no, Stone. Sorry. No. Not, yeah, How dare yeah. you? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, Emma Stone. You're off Emma Stone. Now, I mean, obviously, the only answer to this one would be Hillary Burton. Everyone knows Hillary Burton's the best ever. But beyond, if you can't answer Hillary Burton, I thought you were going to go Jennifer Love Hewitt was going to be your. your well, no, in, are we in nineteen? We, okay, we're so so we're doing today. Okay, all yeah, right, yeah, right. right. No, yeah. that's how I said twenty twenty one was the, what the caption said. So you're off Emma Stone, not Watson. Uh, other than Hillary Burton, who's you know the most beautiful woman that I'm not married to in the world, uh, who who's your dream day right now? Who who are you kind of hot for? These um, days? you know who I think is great is uh, Haley Steinfeld, who I, everything I've seen her in, uh, she's gotten better and better. She's about to be in the Hawkeye series. Um, I think she's awesome. She does she does music as well and stuff. But every time I've seen her and stuff, I'm just like, man, she's just like a star. I think I've been pretty good. Emma Stone's like my, my top one of like noticing stars when they're there. And like, I remember early, like when she was in Edge of 17, which is like five years ago, I'm like, I think she's going to be like huge. And I think she's about to be. So I would... Um, I would probably say her for limiting it to Hollywood people for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's fine. I, I I don't know if I've seen a. I know who she is. I know what she looks like. I haven't seen a mm-hmm. single thing with her. I don't think. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fine. That, that'll work. I'm gonna tell Emma Stone you're off. Um, well, she's got a kid now, man. So I mean, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, what's that? I, I moved on yeah. from that a yeah. couple yeah. years ago. <laughs> she, huh? She's moved on from you, right? It's like, it's yeah, like I know. Yeah, yeah it's it's we, nothing you can do now. All right, two more. We're almost there. We're almost like getting you out of here. No. Best baseball movie. Look, I've, I've, I, my answer to this changes all the time, but like, whatever. I, I don't know where you end. People, baseball fans that are movie fans are pretty intense about whatever their pick is. Chris Castellani's favorite okay. baseball movie. To me, this isn't close. And people are, you know, I know it's, I mean, it's 10 years old, so it's maybe recency bias, but like the movies you show there, Sandlot, Major League, Field of Dreams, they're all really good baseball movies. Moneyball is a great movie, period. So I put that like head and shoulders above basically everything else like first fucking Sorkin wrote it I mean like come on I mean that's that's step one right there but I just that movie does a baseball movie though that's where I uh, is it really a baseball movie I I mean I would say the the crux of the movie is that 21 game win streak or 20 game win streak that they went on and and I think that really the last big scene the thing I like about it is that they don't get their way in the end like they don't, they do change the game of baseball, but they, as Billy Bean says in the movie, if you don't win your last game of the year, nobody's going to care. Well, they, they didn't. And 10 years since that movie's release, I will say that it's gotten a little bit more tragic because like the A's are in the same spot. They, they don't win playoff series, but like there is, I love the way the baseball scenes are filmed in that movie, first of all. And I love like Brad Pitt, that's like maybe his like best performance. I know he won the Oscar for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And he was great in that, but him and Jonah Hill's chemistry in that is so good. And I just love the idea of like just because you don't get to the finish line and win doesn't mean you didn't enjoy the show. Doesn't mean you didn't you didn't accomplish something. And you have you know again just speaks to that it is you know in fact a baseball movie that scene at the end with the you know how can you not be romantic about baseball where they show the scene of the guy hitting the home run and he falls over at first base. I I think that there's subtly a lot of really neat little baseball messages peppered in throughout that movie that maybe aren't as overt as like the last scene in field of dreams where he plays catch with his dad. But I think as a whole, as a film, 
that involves baseball, I think it's like clearly, in my opinion, the best. I love yeah. it. Yeah. If we're calling that a baseball movie, I'm with you then. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, I mean, I, I just, I know it's weird to say it's not because there's so much baseball in it, mm-hmm. but to me, it's almost like its own category. But yeah. And, and one of the best endings ever with the, the camera coming in on him. He's in the yeah. Car. That's, he's so good in that. Like I know. And once upon a time in Hollywood rules and he's great, but like, that was one of those instances where actor has been around for a long time and we got to give him an Oscar. So here it is. But like, that was not Brad Pitt's best performance. Like he was cool in it, but to me like Moneyball and glorious bastards and seven and fight club, like those are his like shining achievements. He just, yeah. Like I thought he was great in that. Philip Seymour Hoffman is art. Howe was so good Mm -hmm. just in the little subtle things were in there in the office. And you know, like I wanted to not tear whatever he goes, you know, I don't care about righty lefty. Yeah, and he just goes, I do. Yeah, you know, like you, just, you know, it, and it really, I and I think the other thing about a lot of Sorkin scripts, Social Network's the same way. It's like there's a lot of it that is made up. Like there is, it's implied throughout that movie that like they traded Carlos Pena when he was having an All Star season. <laughs> yeah. He had like a 750 OPS. Like he was not, and they traded him. Like it was not that extreme. But it's one of those things where the creative liberties, in order to uh, drive home the message of the movie, actually made sense to me, and it never bothered me. And you're right, I, the ending with him, like. The crux of that movie, and I think it's why some people don't consider it a baseball movie, is like the relationship he has with his daughter and the relationship that he has with Oakland. It's not as overt as like the ending to Sandlot or something like that, but I still, I adore it. It's one, every time it's on, it's similar to like something like Shawshank Redemption where it's on TV all the time. I pick it up wherever it's at and I watch till the end. It's the ultimate rewatchable. It's it's top 20 or 25 for me. I I have a little different takeaway on what it's about. I think it's about having courage to stick with something Mm -hmm. in the face of everybody mocking you fucking a system going against the old guard. That was my takeaway more than it was daughter relationship. That's true. But it's also one, the big scout in that movie who like tells him to go F himself at one point is an actual scout who plays himself, who still maintains that that system is garbage. And like it's, it's all, it's just so weird to me in 2011. And I guess it was 2001 when the movie took place. Like the idea of, this guy's not going to be a confident player because his girlfriend is ugly was a thing that was like an actual evaluation that people had about players. And it shows like how far the game has come in terms of uh, analytical like prowess that that was still a thing that existed in the 21st century. So some of that dialogue was verbatim from the Michael Lewis book. Cause I read the Michael Lewis book years before the movie came out and there really was a conversation. It's like his girlfriend's a six at best. Like that guy doesn't have any confidence. That's a real thing. All right. Last thing. You have dinner with the director. You can go dead director, living director. I don't care. You're out to a fancy dinner with any director in the history of Hollywood cinema. Who are you sitting down with for two hours and breaking bread with? It's between two. Best conversation is Tarantino. Because I feel like I would sit down for, uh, it would be like Adrian Hinch and Carlos Correa having breakfast that turns into lunch. Like I feel like it would start at six o'clock and probably end around 1 a.m. and we would still be talking. My bucket list one, it's still Christopher Nolan. Like, I can't, I can't shy away from the guy who's responsible for probably the movie that made me into the movie lover that I am with The Dark Knight. I can't shy away from that. And he's a very fascinating guy to listen to talk. I would love to spend two hours having him explain the plot to Tenet to me. I think that would be a lot of fun because I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. You know, I mean, there's, uh, I would, I would lean towards him just because I would, I would love to have the opportunity to be like, dude, I am who I am as a film lover because of you. Like it wasn't until 
I was probably like 17, 18 when I went back and I watched somebody like Tarantino's filmography and like started to fall in love with his work. So I would, I would lean towards Nolan in that aspect. Both great answers. I I like Tarantino's work. Obviously he's, he's phenomenal, Mm -hmm. but I'm with you on, he'd be the best conversation. The thing I love about Tarantino is that guy loves movies more than anybody ever. It's it's insane. He's a geek. Did you see the bit that he did on Kimmel where he Kimmel just had a random like VHS tape that he described the premise to, and Tarantino was blindfolded and he I was, did not. And see he that. like des- he described the premise. He's like, oh, I know what. The, and it's like you know, Zombie Killers Part Four. So it's like it's like this <laughs> random these. No, he is like he's and you see that throughout his films because like he's the master of taking stuff that's already existed and weaving it together in a way that like feels very original and unique. Like Kill Bill is just, you know, a an homage to like those, you know, those samurai movies like that yeah. he grew up watching. So like, you know, he's a master of like adaptation and just understanding like what makes audiences work. And he's still he is I would say Scorsese as well, but even more so Tarantino is the one director who can like make whatever the hell he wants and they'll just like let him do it. And I think that's awesome because I see so many movies that kind of have their balls clipped by studio interference and like he just keeps rolling and it's great. You can kind of on one hand the guys that are on that list like still working where yeah. the studio mostly is like, okay, it's a Tarantino movie. It's not a 20th Century Fox movie or whatever. He's, the, he's a movie star director where he can sell yeah. a movie based on the fact that he is attached to it. I was on a podcast talk about this the other day where like there was a period in the 2000s where like if he read three pages of a script, they would say, oh, produ- presented by Quentin, like those dumb hostile movies that yeah. Eli Roth made. Like Tarantino walked by, like hung, shook hands with the guy, with the janitor who worked on set. And they're like produced by Tarantino. And that like added validity to a project. I mean, yeah, he is, he is that one where like when he becomes a part of something, you know, it's, you know, he it's got his seal of approval. Yeah. Well, between your two appearances, your most two recent appearances, a lot's happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm afraid what's going to happen if you come back like in a year or two, are you, are you going to be like governor of Michigan or what's going to be going on? Sure. I sure hope not. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely been, it's, yeah, I mean, I'm, dude, I'm still getting used to it, man. I mean, it's still weird. I mean, I've, uh, it has been exhausting. I was on, you know, dog walk radio in, in Chicago talking about it where it's like, it really, I said a week, it took me like a full month to be like, all right, this is where I'm at. Like, cause it was. I went again. I went from working at a gas station and two weeks later I was interviewing a pitcher who threw a no hitter. So it's like, that's, that's such a weird, like shake of the shoulders kind of moment. And you just kind of have to keep going along with it. And it's been bizarre, but no, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens a year from now, but I'm, I'm professionally, I'm pretty content where I'm at. You're getting pulled left and right. Like crazy. Like, you go to these tiger games. I like, I'd be nervous to like, if I like shit on my face, like I'm eating like a hot dog, gets a mustard. Like, yeah. you know, if people know who you are, it's going to be like, I got a picture of this famous guy with shit all over his face. Like, yeah. I mean, well, you know, it's definitely something I've thought, I mean, you know, losing the weight helped for sure to be like, okay, I can look relatively presentable when I go to this stuff. But I mean, I, it's also fair to say that like, you know, I did not get where I was where I've gotten to because of, you know, my incredible good looks. I did it because of the guy, I think like if it was, it would be different if I was, you know, if I was a model, the fact that when yeah. you're somebody who just creates baseball content, it doesn't really matter that much to people like how you present yourself, though it does matter to me. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean, like somebody like Evan Petzold, he has talent and is very good looking. Right. So that, that's, so he made it kind of with a two pronged approach, but yeah. Yeah. So I just, uh, obviously, you know, big fan of yours, I uh, have been for a long time and uh, consider you a friend. I'm uh, just, thrilled with what you're doing. Thank like you. I think it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Couldn't happen to a guy that deserved it more. And I was in your corner the whole way. And I know I speak for a lot of people and just saying, you know, continued success. Thank you. Man. Can, dude, can you believe, I think this June, 
we'll have known each other for five calendar years. Like, I know. Time, time passes, man. I mean, you've seen me go from skinny to fat back to relatively skinny again in that in that five year window. So, and a lot, a lot more has changed from from other aspects of my life. So it's been uh, it's been a trip, dude. But I know I appreciate you having me, man. Yeah, yeah. Of course, and uh, not an easy drive for you in the uh, well bordering the greatest town in the the history of the country, East Lansing. Uh, so appreciate you coming out, especially on a weeknight. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're going to keep watching over there at Barstool. And, Thank you, um, you know, hopefully I, I keep rooting for you guys to come into Detroit. Like, actually, like not just have a Twitter account that says Same. it, but like Detroit, I think, needs that. I think it'd be good uh, for the competition around here. And that'd just be great. So continued success, uh, success to you, man. It's been an awesome uh, pleasure watching you. Thanks for having me, buddy. Yeah, of course. So uh, thank you to Ben Augusta on the other side of the now like library bookshelf. I have to get used to the new terminology around here. Yeah. So I, I think if I open it, it leads to the Batcave. It does. That, it's, yeah. it's like the Batcave. It's so, they're so barren. I got all these beautiful decorations, but they're not all here yet. So I don't want like one shelf with three things on it. I feel like right. we're better off going completely blank than like spotty. But uh, you know, we don't we don't want to look uh, like Sidney Crosby's playoff beard here. We want it to be nice and full. So anyway, thank you to Ben Augusta, Eric Williamson, in his boxers on his couch at home. Uh, Spiro Avenue Show, Justin Spiro. It's going to be a fun Saturday for uh, college football fans everywhere. Hopefully, potentially. Hopefully, for your sake, maybe things will yeah. end up a little differently. But uh, thank you all for watching. We'll catch you later on this week, guys.